Bling Blong, everyone. Our new podcast miniseries, Talking Mission Hill, is now exclusively on Patreon. Put on your spicy pants every Friday with a new podcast covering each episode of the cult series from Simpsons legends Bill Oakley and Josh Weinstein. $5 subscribers at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons can hear every episode, plus all of our previous miniseries about Futurama, King of the Hill, and The Critic. So don't be a Beardsley. Sign up for Talking Mission Hill today. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy, everybody, and welcome to Talking Simpsons, where we learn the true meaning of winter. I'm your host, dinosaur bone-digging-up expert Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons, who is here with me today, as always. Hey, it's Henry Gilbert, and I need tungsten to live. <laughs> tungsten! And who do we have on the line? Chris Kohler, coming up just six short of an Octodad. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and today's episode is Eight Misbehaven. Ugh. I just had the most beautiful dream where I died. Oh, no, you don't. Not till they're out of college. Listen, I'll die when I want to. <laughs> Today's episode aired on November 21st, 1999. And as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. <gasps> Oh boy, Bobby, Pokemon Gold and Silver is released in Japan while the United States got Unreal Tournament for the, for the PC. The first millionaire winner happens on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And The World is Not Enough is released in theaters hmm. at uh, Pierce Brosnan James Bond hit. So the game show ended, right? Because they found out that guy <laughs> wanted it. He and wanted then he, it. he was it. So they, they just got their millionaire and it was <laughs> he, over. He was the first of many millionaires hmm. on, the, on the millionaire series that uh, swept the nation in 1999 and now i think uh so i i do the retro gaming podcast retronauts and i we did a podcast about the year 2000 recently pokemon gold and silver came out in japan in november of 99 but then october of 2000 for us and i think now they're basically day and date with japan right oh glo- it's yeah. a global release now yeah yeah but they needed about 10 months to cook <laughs> it cook that localization up i mean it's a massive thing to localize like i can see why it took them you know 10 months especially if it was I, I figure the practice back then for Pokemon Company would have been we finish it in Japan and then we yeah. give it to you guys. And I think they threw us yellow as a bone in the meantime. <laughs> that that was the Christmas one for, for 99. Yeah, 99. Yeah. That's yeah. right. My brother, he was more into Pokemon than me. But when Gold and Silver came out in Japan, we were on the GameFAQ message boards, like trying to f- see all the secrets. And, you know, it was really easy to just say like, oh, there's a Pika Blue in this, you know, like uh, it's the, the classic Pika Blue rumor. Meanwhile, I didn't uh i did not have a pc for gaming in 99 so i did not play unreal i did but i was afraid to play multiplayer games until like left 4 dead came out so <laughs> i missed a lot of them until 2008 i think for a lot of gamers it would be shocking for them to learn that unreal the engine is named after unreal tournament <laughs> And uh, yeah, the world is not enough. That's the one with Denise Richards in it. Oh right, as like Doctor Mary Christmas or something. Her, something stupid. Her name is Christmas. All for the end of the movie joke. Of, oh, uh, she had just had sex with James Bond and wants to have sex again. And he says, "I thought Christmas only came once a year." Oh, uh, that's right. Yep. That's the only reason was, I knew that's her name. Yeah, all for that joke, <laughs> for that one joke. But 
Uh, but anyway, yes. Uh, the cl- you have to admire, though. I think the commitment to that to oh, set yeah. all of that up for one terrible joke at the end of the movie, just to, for a joke to go out on. Your entire uh, yep, name is yep. based on that. It's it's great. It's a great groaner. I mean, I I was dumbstruck in the theater. Just like I did not think I would see in a James Bond movie a joke about the word "come." I did not. I don't think. <laughs> oh, I'd this see is that. despicable. That's, yeah. <laughs> what happened? Happened to James Bond. <laughs> James Bond is not making anyone come. No. He's a very selfish lover. That's uh, all I'm going to say. Yes, I, I agree. I think <laughs> uh, <laughs> before we get too dirty here, <laughs> let's introduce our guest, Chris Kohler. Chris, obviously, who formerly of Wired, and Chris has been podcasting longer than us even. He was a oh, podcaster yeah. in the pioneer days of 2005 and 2006. That is actually true. Yeah, that was wow. I remember, uh, I remember the first time I heard about podcasts, thinking, "Well, that's never going to work." Um, <laughs> and uh, luckily, you know, Jeremy Parrish, when he was at One Up, started Retronauts, and uh, I, I, again, I have this very like distinct memory of uh, being in the One Up office and uh, him telling me that he was going to start doing something about old. It, again, this is two thousand five, two thousand six, so it's like talking. It's like I'm going to do something about old video games, and I was like, "Wow, a bunch of people getting together." and talking about old video games no one's ever done this before um and uh, it's a totally original idea so yes i'm a super old podcaster and happy to be here and just in in awe of what you guys have have put together this 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 cartoon empire of yours oh thank you and oh. excited to, to be uh to be on the show and also chris is one of those uh, what do you call him dads that's right yeah he's a dad yeah. And we've been I accused of a dad. Yeah, we've been accused of being an anti-dad podcast, but we are pro Chris Kohler. So yeah. take that. <laughs> I know Chris yeah. is a good dad, and yes. I read your Facebook updates all the time, Chris. Thank you. And you know, I mean, I'm sh- listen. I'm sure I'm screwing my kids up in some way that's going to cause them to hate me soon enough. It's 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 fine. You know, it's just <laughs> you, you try you know you, you try not to screw up your kids in the way your parents screwed you up, but then the, the pendulum swings back the <laughs> other way, and I'm sure I'm just destroying them in some other way. And you just got you take it day by day he's getting it he's getting into well my oldest i have two kids um you know my my, my oldest has just started getting into mario maker though. oh cool and um mm. and he's just been like he, he was playing it the other day and he told me he you know because he watches like uh children's youtube personalities of course who like play mario and then he wanted to play it and then he told me uh yesterday i bet you that this youtuber played this game before you even did dad and i said chris i played mario maker 2 before it was out oh <laughs> man it was just like that's impossible <laughs> So we're telling him about what dad's job is and uh, kind, of, kind of blowing him away by this. So it's, been, it's, been, it's super fun, you know? Games press privilege. I, you don't strike yeah. me as one of those dads that has like the entertainment syllabus for their child. Like, okay, at age three, you'll watch this and play this. Then at age five, we're going to get you into this. I, w- I will tell you that 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 really rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I know some people did that and were like, oh, yeah, like I'm going to teach my child about the history of video games. And when they're four, they're only going to be able to play the 8-bit NES. And then when they're five, they're only going to be able to play the Super Nintendo. <laughs> I'm going to do it that way. And that just really, I, I really just, I want him to figure out what's cool. And then once I want him to figure out what he's into. And then for me as the parent to kind of come in and say, okay, what's the safe way for you to play this? What's the, cause, because now it just sort of spirals where it's like Minecraft Roblox. And it's like, oh, okay. These are all online games. Like, what do we do with parental controls? Yeah. How do I make sure that, because it's like, I'm not, I'm not over your shoulder all the time watching what you do. So it's like, how can I, you know, make sure that, that you know, that it's safe and 
just you know listen and 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 understand like what it is you're into and it's we're right on the the precipice of things getting really really difficult we're like he's going online we can't lock stuff uh, down so it's like how do we how do we deal with it it's too late now but you could always do one of those scenarios like in the movie the village like just tell your kid it's it's always 1993 and <laughs> sonic the hedgehog does not exist and we don't go outside we yeah 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 yeah, the, the Sonic the Hedgehog thing for sure. He does not enter this house. <laughs> yeah, no Sonic in my house. I, I mean, is he? Does he know what you're? You have quite a collection of retro games, Chris. Does he? Does he know what those are yet? He's not. He does, and he's completely uninterested in them oh, um, safe. again he's he's really he gets into his own thing and it's entirely possible that he will get interested in it and it's entirely uh, but he's he's older and he's pretty i mean he's, he's five and he's pretty respectful of stuff he doesn't like destroy things in the house but we just had a daughter a baby who's six months old and um everything goes in her mouth she just ev- everything everything she can get her hands on and she like she's threatening to just start you know crawling and walking and running around and like everything she can touch has to get crumpled up and destroyed and i'm like pulling stuff out of her mouth on a constant like a magician pulling one of those multicolored scarves you know it's like what did you get in there oh no she's got stadium events (laughs) yeah exactly exactly so i mean it's got that's she's gonna she's gonna be the the trouble for sure with all the stuff on the shelves it's fine i own a storage unit i can just box everything up you know it's fine one uh chris what's your you know personal history with the simpsons i i would assume kind of similar to bob and mines yeah for sure i mean like well i don't want to lie but I, I did watch uh, the, the Tracy Ullman show when it was on. Like, I mean, you know, I watched anything on TV that was, you know, comedic. And so I definitely, definitely had my first encounter with The Simpsons watching the shorts on Tracy Ullman. It's like when I did, I remember when the show was premiered because I, I just turned 40. So, I mean, I was eight years old in 1988, you know. So, I mean, I had a vague understanding of like, oh, that, you know, those, those, those very weird, you know, little cartoon things from the Tracy Ullman show show are gonna are gonna it's gonna be you know because they hyped up that christmas special and everything and mm-hmm. and so yeah i started watching from from right then and of course you know you're eight nine years old there's there's kids there's a cartoon on tv and the kids say hell you know what i mean <laughs> and that's awesome and so i definitely fell in love with it at that point i really enjoy watching the simpsons i'm not one of the people that became a huge you know, adult fan and cataloging, you know, every single thing about it. But well, why I not? got it. Come on. There's nothing a- wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> For for a moment there, you know, in the for the for the years there when I was you know a kid and a teenager, it was definitely. I mean, obviously, right? I mean, it was a huge, huge part of you. You had to be Simpsons literate to understand the pop culture of the day. Absolutely huge deal when uh, you know Michael Jackson came on The Simpsons. It was a huge, huge event, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I bought the Simpsons Illustrated magazines too. You know, no, like I really too, I bought yeah. the first oh, yeah. that first book when they released the the Simpsons. Epic episode guide which which again as somebody who you know likes to collect things because you know i mean i i collected mad magazine as a kid oh you yeah, know? yeah so to give to give you sort of an idea of the crossover there like i really actively like collected as as a kid i'll tell i'll tell this story because it kind of <laughs> kind of all goes together right i remember i would have been like five years old at a flea market 
and there were like five like mad magazines at somebody's booth and i thought that these were like dirty books you know what i mean like i thought <laughs> this is inappropriate for me and so i thought i was really getting away with something because i was sitting there browsing looking at the the humor in these things even though it was literally it was mad from the 80s you know <laughs> and my dad came over and i just remembered going white like Oh no, dad <laughs> caught me reading this illicit, you know, adult <laughs> material and I blanched and I'm like, I'm in trouble. And he goes, oh, do you want to buy those? Uh -huh. <laughs> That's great. And, and I bought this stack of mad magazines for a quarter each and then I got super into it. So of course you have this phenomenon of kids my age in the eighties growing up buying old mad magazines and being super literate about the cultural figures of the sixties and seventies. <laughs> from from reading mad magazine like i knew a lot about president nixon you know because because uh, i read this when i was like in in um elementary school anyway so i think that probably like the appreciation of that sort of like quote unquote adult humor as a little kid probably dovetailed very well into starting to get obsessed with oh. with the simpsons at that time as well yeah i totally get that too i mean i was a mad reader in the late 80s and then i would always buy like the super specials that they would put out i think the joke was in the show like 12 times a year yeah and yeah. a lot of it was reprinted stuff from the 70s and the 60s and the mm -hmm. 80s so i did learn a lot about politics or their take on politics and you know celebrities and stuff from that time like i didn't know johnny carson took a lot of days off until i read that magazine <laughs> I, <laughs> there I, was a song about it there was, there was a parody song about johnny carson like not hosting the, the tonight show that's enough. right yeah, yeah. there's like a poem <laughs> yes yes yeah uh, yeah i'd i'd learn about who the hot starlets were of like 1974 like i i learned who farrah fawcett was from reading old mad then uh watching charlie angels charlie's angels reruns which were kind of rare to see then yeah yeah, for sure. And well, in this episode, yeah, this uh, this is a dad episode. And I, I was curious, too, if like, you know, do you reflect on The Simpsons differently now as as a dad or uh, like revisiting it? <laughs> it's so bizarre. It's so bizarre to think that I am older than Homer Simpson is canonically. Uh -huh. Right. Um, and you start you 100 percent. There's a great line in the show that we'll get to when we get to it. But you yes, absolutely. You start to look at instead of Bart, or, you know, or probably more in my case, Lisa, you know, being the character you like closely identify <laughs> with, you, you start identifying with Homer and, and all of you start to understand a lot so much more about the motivations or the things that he thinks or, you know, what, what he wants to do on the weekends. It, it is so funny how that that character suddenly becomes much more relatable and you realize <laughs> like, oops, like, oh, I'm actually Homer now. Whoops. Yeah, I guess Homer is canonically 39 because like, he started at 30. <laughs> Five, and yeah. they kept sliding it up as the writers were getting older. Like we cannot be older than Homer. But if right. you look at the arcade game, the, uh, the like the bio on Homer says age thirty five. That's right. Yeah, and March mm -hmm. turned thirty four in the first season, but they, I think they. They kept aging up Homer so they were younger than him until 40. And I think that's when they're like, Homer can't be over 40. They yeah. just don't want that. Yeah. And, and now the showrunner, Al Jean, is 60. So yes, yeah. Homer can't. Now he's like Ned Flanders' age, right? <laughs> he is, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the video games, I will absolutely say that I, I played the ever-loving crap out of Bart versus the Space Mutants and Bart versus the World for Ooh. the NES. Oh. Um, mm. I actually beat both of those games. No you. way. Legit. No way. That's uh, like, crazy. I, could I do it today? Absolutely. 
absolutely not, but it just shows you like how much I played and memorized those games to actually be able to finish them. Oh my god! I'm like the kid yeah. at recess who goes like, "No way!" Uh, uh, I mm-hmm. want, did you mm-hmm. tape it? <laughs> yeah, we just did a podcast about that game as of this uh, recording, and uh, just revisiting that through Let's Plays. I have no idea how I even got past the first level. I mean, I nope. d- it just reminded me that I didn't get past the first level. My unfortunately, I rented the game. I didn't buy it, but mm-hmm. uh, well, so let's talk about this episode. I uh, just off the bat, Eight Misbehaving is a parody of the or a reference to the musical of the 80s it was a jazz review ain't misbehaving that's right which we talked a lot more about in uh when we talked about ron taylor the late ron taylor in our moaning lisa episode the voice of bleeding gums murphy was part of the original cast of ain't misbehaving so uh yeah there's there's a simpsons connection to it and i did want to get into all of the septuplet and octuplet trivia yeah now, just to get it out of the way mm-hmm. because this episode is based on the uh, the birth of the mccoy septuplets who were born in november of 97 and they were the world's first set of fully surviving septuplets although Uh. two of them uh, did uh, do have cerebral palsy uh but um they were the product of fertility drugs by can Mm. you believe a religious family yeah that's the that was the depressing secret on all those giant not to get ahead of ourselves but the 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 giant family reality shows of the 2000s the secret was they all are crazy religious people who wanted to get on tv and then we get to the uh, the quiverful families which have them one at a time usually (laughs) and they're they're sick freaks and cults and whatnot but uh chris has a lot i know chris you uh currently it's on high but you had the podcast uh, Good Job Brain, a trivia podcast. I know you love weird info about stuff like this. I do. I do. So I kind of went down a, a, a wiki hole, as they say, about a lot of this stuff. And so, yeah, the McCoy septuplets were the first set of, of septuplets to live. And what you have to understand about this is that prior to this, there had been, uh, you know, recorded instances of people having five, six, seven, you know, eight, nine, ten, maybe uh, babies. But I mean, it's like a one in a billion chance that that would happen. Now, there's five, six, seven billion people on the world at, the, in, at these points, you know. So, I mean, it's entirely possible that it you know you could have a one in a billion chance would happen but like this this episode involves uh, Apu and Manjula having octuplets and it's just sort of like obviously we're talking about a comedy show she she doesn't know she has octuplets until they come out believe me if you had octuplets you would absolutely know very early on and and your life would actually be in like serious danger like yeah. you know, women who have these huge multiple births they they end up spending a lot of that time in the hospital being constantly looked after but the thing is the advent of fertility drugs which comes up in this episode that absolutely plays into it so you have fertility drugs which do cause people to have several embryos going on at once and now typically right at that moment they would do selective reduction so i mean basically you know so sometimes parents are on fertility drugs there's a lot of embryos they're like okay we're going to reduce this down to a very manageable number here protect your life protect protect the the baby's lives quite frankly because like it's not it's not good for the babies to be you know, gestating essentially, right? For the fetuses to be gestating in that kind of environment, right? So it's Mm. like, so they do that. But there were some people who went on fertility drugs and were like, nope, we're just gonna we're just gonna go with all of it. Um, and that's their right to do that if they if they want to do that. You actually had two. You had the McCoy septuplets in 1997, and you had the Chuku octuplets, octuplets, the first time octuplets were born alive. It was in December 1998. Yeah, we so, don't actually hear very much about the Chuku family, which is well, interesting, no. but it happened I right at, after. Yeah, I looked into them a little bit. I mean, well, first off, that they I think a reason they didn't get as much media spotlight 
right is that they are a Nigerian American family. So as uh, they're not a white family that it I think would be focused on by our our racist media as much. And my Uh, notes tell me that it was the most surviving octuplets because seven of the children survived infancy, so not all of them. So it's it's a it's a less fun story. Yeah. So it was it is it is yes seven so one one actually sadly passed away within a a week of being born. Uh, But it was the first time that octuplets were actually born alive like that were actually survived for any length of time of course now later on well after this episode 10 years after this episode aired um you had the 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 suleiman uh octoplets which is mother became known as octomom right in the news and they were the first set of octoplets that actually completely survived and Something else happened in 1998 as well, which is very interesting and put multiple births back into the news. The Dion quintuplets, they got a $2.8 million settlement from yeah. the government of Ontario, Canada in 1998. And I know you guys were reading about the Dion quintuplets as well. And that's actually their story that inspired this this episode of The, of the Simpsons, the actual storyline, the, the plot of it. And th- I mean, this is just fascinating, right? Oh yeah, I read this great Washington Post piece from last year that was kind of a rundown of a, of a much bigger book on it. And it's just, uh, I mean, it's an interesting and tragic story. And, yeah. and also about evil Canadians too, <laughs> which I didn't expect. It's about time. Yeah, I feel like it's, this is a very extreme case, but I feel like anyone who was uh, famous in like the 30s or the 20s as a movie star, like if you go back to their biography, it's like they started as tap dancing Sammy and he worked 16 hours a day for seven days a week <laughs> yes. on vaudeville or whatever. It's like so it's much. Child yeah, like we didn't think people were children or children were people until like maybe like 1938. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So what ended up happening? So the Dion quintuplet, a set of five identical girls were born. Of course, this in 1934 in Ontario, Canada. No fertility drugs existed at this point. This was one of those totally random one in a million kind of things. They all survived. They were the first set of quintuplets to get to make it out of infancy, basically. They all survived. They were born in a little farmhouse. They warmed them by the literal fire in this farmhouse. Like it was, it was really like kind of a miracle that they that they all made it. So the same kind of thing happens that you see with the McCoy septuplets, etc. People start sending them gifts. I think some companies start sending some stuff. A hospital sent them incubators which were very new technology at the time very likely and, uh, those, I, I remember reading that very likely those babies would have died had those not been sent or they'd they, they, it's un- unlikely they'd all have survived probably probably that it, it is very unlikely um so the thing with the incubators and this is super weird too but this kind of leads into what happened with the dion quintuplets incubators were brand new technology right in the 1930s the idea that if you had a premature baby uh, you would be able to put them into this machine that would help them, you know, thrive, right? So babies were not born in hospitals in generally in the 1930s. They were they were almost all born at home. So like, how do you put them in an incubator? Hospitals didn't really use incubators because again, babies typically didn't even go to hospitals in the first place, hmm. right? And of course, you know, the medical establishment at the time was a little bit like, well, what are these things? You know, they were kind of invented by somebody. Should we be using them? So what would end up happening was if you went to like Coney Island, there would be a building that was like, come see the incubator babies. <laughs> it was like wow. next to the sideshow, it was like, come see the bearded woman, come see the alligator man, come see the babies in the incubators. And people would not give their babies, people would put their babies on Ooh. display in exchange for being able to have these babies in these incubators. It was this, it was this profit-making thing. Wow. So you'd go in, 
you'd gawk at the little tiny premature babies in these incubators. Um, and, and they, it was a, a sideshow. It was a, it was a tourist attraction. And it, it's bizarre to think about that. It's so bizarre <laughs> to think like, I'm going to put my baby on display for thousands of people to gawk at. For a lot of parents, it was the only way to get access to this new technology, the incubator hmm. that would actually uh, perhaps, and generally did, they were, they were pretty successful, I guess, at uh, keeping babies alive. What a weird time. Uh, hey, want to see some sick babies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I got fifty cents. Uh, were, I mean, we were you know we're decades away from bits. video games, so I mean people just needed stuff. To do, <laughs> yeah, but it's just bizarre to think about it. So then, so the Dion quintuplets are born. They go in the incubators. They get out of infancy. Okay, great. Well, as soon as they're born, the Chicago Century of Progress exhibition, which is like a World's Fair kind of thing, so they come in and they're literally like, "Hey, you have five babies and no money. We will take your babies." <laughs> and we will put them on display at the Chicago Century Progress Exhibition. So people can come see the famous uh, quintuplet babies, you know, and they can go look at them. And the family is like, gee, what should we do? Well, the doctor that delivered them is like, you should totally do it. Yeah. And the family priest is like, Bro. yeah. Go for it. That do so yeah, that doctor's pretty <laughs> evil in this story. He's he's, uh, he's the villain, I'd say. He wants a yeah. cut. <laughs> so they sign over the custody of the quintuplets to the Red Cross for two years in exchange for them basically covering all the the medical all the costs all the medical costs all the food the sh you know all the shelter everything we'll we'll take care of your babies for two years and put them in the century progress exhibition but what ends up happening is by in 1935 when the babies are a year old maybe less than a year old they become wards of the crown wards of the king ontario uh, in, takes in ontario so. canada <laughs> yeah and the government of ontario canada becomes their legal guardians like on a perpetual basis, ostensibly, this is to protect them from being exploited <laughs> by any bad actors who would seek to exploit them for their fame. The government of Ontario then proceeds to exploit them for their fame in as bad a way as... So they build, across from the little farmhouse where they were born, they build a quote-unquote hospital, which that which the doctor who delivered them, right, I believe, is like running this whole thing. Yeah, he runs it. Yeah, it's uh, they, if they called it a zoo, it'd be people would freak out, so they call it a hospital. Yeah, and then... Uh, you know, at its peak, 3,000 people a day. They build this whole thing uh, and they have an observation deck above, above the playground and the girls all live there. And then three times a day, they get sent out to the playground to play while people pass by on the observation deck to look at them. They exit through the gift shop. There's a gift shop selling anything you could make in 1934 that you would sell in a theme park gift shop with their faces on it and stuff like that. You buy this stuff. I saw that I got saw the quintuplets. All I got was this lousy. You, know, <laughs> you buy all this stuff and they're they're making they're just raking in money while these girls are just like slaves just yeah. just child slaves in this in this institution like performing for crowds one well, and i read too that like ontario they were making a ton of money just from like upping their their gas tax because they were getting so many visitors like it was directly paying for a ton of of local taxes for ontario just the the exposure of these kids like the the washington post article i read uh, said the the phrase was like bigger than niagara like this was bigger than niagara falls these these quintuplets 
Yep, and they called it Quintland. It was a theme park. Was it? They uh. called it Quintland, the theme park that you go to to see the. It was like it was the biggest like tourist attraction probably in Canada at this point. What by like age ten they finally got free. I think it was <laughs> someone freed the they kids. They did, and they really uh, did. Uh, you know, it's not like they had a good time of it afterwards either, because their 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 parents apparently by all uh, accounts pretty much you know sucked, and they went back to their parents' house, and their parents resented them and didn't like them, and they didn't have a sense it took them a while to get a sense i think that um this big house that they now lived in and all this money and all the stuff that they had was just paid for you know by their existence mm-hmm. and and them you know being in in quintland for nine years ten years well, and they technically had a trust fund but it was stolen from by people like it was their money but yep. everybody was just picking away at it yeah sure yeah sure and so it, this and and this went and so they they kind of came back into the news uh when the mccoy septuplets were born because the the surviving women from the Dion family wrote a letter to the parents of the McCoy septuplets. And they were like, you're, you're going to get a lot of people wanting to essentially exploit your family and make these people, you know, make your kids like child stars or whatever. Please, 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 you know, try your best, you know, do not go down that road. It, it, it only leads to, to bad things. They were so lucky to have been born right before reality TV because I wanted to cover the media angle of this too. So yeah, they, mm-hmm. I mean, the writers of the show don't know what will happen in the future. They obviously. don't know it's coming, but they, yeah. they seem to see the wave. They are addressing the wave in this episode but they couldn't their parody couldn't imagine what yeah. would come next like mm-hmm. had this mm-hmm. been made 10 years later so like 2007 was uh john and kate plus eight Ugh. and that was a, a, a show about sex tuplets right six kids yeah. at once well, they had twins before yeah. so it was technically eight kids but yeah six kids together but what it was like you're exploiting your children so uh corporations can subsidize your lifestyle through products that you then showcase on your show so the all of those shows and i over watch a lot of them because people I know would watch or hate watch them it's just like <laughs> now we're gonna go play with these Legos and then now we're gonna go visit this place that you can go to too and here are the kind of pampers we use like it's all about showcasing products they get the products for free to use on their kids but they're also using their kids as like models mm-hmm. for the products essentially one well, in John and Kate especially they just seem like very well, messy people Kate is the first Karen she invented oh, the yes yeah. <laughs> she's well, a pioneer of Karens and they, and they went through an incredibly messy divorce and I, I really pity their kids. The sex tuplets are like 16 now, so I'm sure they'll have their own tell-all soon enough, and we'll know what was really going on there. But boy, oh boy! And well, and that's why it's funny. Then with the octo mom after them, Nadia uh, Suleiman, with her, it was really weird because I think she clearly wanted to be a reality show star too, and she would appear on like daytime TV all the time, but mainly to be yelled at. And so like she was, everybody turned on her she still was a television celebrity but she'd get to be on like you know dr phil for dr phil to tell her she's irresponsible i think she had a brief stint in pornography as well uh she did uh, in 2012 after the kid's birth she did do a uh, solo porn video uh this was after she filed for bankruptcy and won an avn award so who am i to (laughs) to judge that and uh you know that uh i think it was two years ago the new york times did a 10th anniversary piece with her with the eight kids she had six kids before those eight kids also and then more kids after right i yes yeah yeah and uh but the new york times piece apparently it's behind a paywall so i couldn't read it but uh apparently it seemed to say it was a normal healthy household and not bad so you know seems like she's better than kate at least i think if we're if we're judging parents of uh, reality show stuff 
By comparison, I watched a 10 years later video with the, the Chuku septuplets and they, they seemed pretty normal and not stars of a television show. So that, that probably helps them a lot. You know, different parents have different parenting approaches, right? I mean, we are pretty, we don't have super strict rules about, you know, bedtime and we don't have super strict rules about, oh, you, you know, as soon as you're done eating, you gotta go wash your dishes, you know, when you're four years old or something like that. Like some, some parents absolutely do that it's not our thing i think as soon as you have eight children at once heck even if you had regular old quadruplets i feel like you would absolutely need to become the sort of household that is all about schedules and cleaning up after yourself because if you don't there is no coming back from that it's just lord of the flies i you think know? at that point you have like a professionally made chore wheel <laughs> yeah you have to and so i mean i think when you when you do read the check-in articles on the mccoys or the chukus or you know it's just, just sort of like oh yeah you know we eat in shifts and we do this and we you know mondays is the day that mom and these three go do this and you know it's all very scheduled because there is no other way to, to do it The Simpsons will be right back. Hope you guys enjoy this week's podcast with our love eight relationship with our awesome guest Chris Kohler. Definitely follow him on Twitter. He does great work at Kotaku and just uh, in the history of video games department. And by the way, if you enjoy this podcast, you should know that me and Bob are only able to do it full time thanks to the subscribers at patreon.com slash talking simpsons all the support there is the way me and bob do this is our full-time job and five bucks a month gets you a ton of extras as well as our thanks for supporting us five bucks a month gets you every episode of talking simpsons a week ahead of time and ad free you can hear next week's right now and the same goes for our sister podcast what a cartoon where we cover a different animated series each week also, that five bucks a month gets you access to our entire back catalog of exclusive Patreon podcasts, over a hundred of them. Most recently, that is our mini series where we give the Talking Simpsons treatment to every episode of the cult classic series, Mission Hill, made by Simpsons legends, Bill Oakley and Josh Weinstein. And the previous mini series included Futurama, King of the Hill, and The Critic. You can hear us talk about all of those only if you're a subscriber at patreon.com slash talking simpson but if you really want to be on cloud nine as a patreon subscriber you need to head on up to the ten dollar level that gets you all of that five dollar stuff plus our monthly what a cartoon movie where me and bob cover a different animated feature film in the same style as talking simpsons recent ones have included the black cauldron space jam loop on the third the castle of cogliostro a goofy movie akira kiki's delivery service spider-man into the spider-verse a huge number of awesome movies you can hear us talk about often for over four hours if you're a subscriber at patreon.com slash talking simpsons for 10 bucks a month please sign up today
a lot of depressing stories about octuplets after yeah. this. Uh, that and uh, I, I would hope the Nasabimapetalon children end up as lucky as the Chuku kids who seeming to be pretty normal. Maybe it was for the best because uh, we've all talked about Apu, of course. Yes, but I yes. think this this episode really kind of uh, ruins his character a bit in that like <laughs> he has to be the guy with eight kids now. Like how many jokes can you write about that? And eventually mm. they kind of wrote him out of the show a little bit because like they did all the jokes. Like he's tired, he's got eight kids, they can never grow up because he's in this reality. So yeah, what are you going to do? The, the rare times he'd appear after this is just a cut to him being incredibly stressed and unhappy this is why you don't give characters kids in in shows you get one episode for it and then you don't know what you're doing with them after and this is part of like a four episode arc with a poo where he gets married there's a valentine's day episode there's uh this one uh with the kids and then there's a fourth one where he cheats on manjula in season 13 and that's basically all the apu episodes that with this storyline that's basically all you get Mm -hmm. and then he sort of like in the background there's a joke like in season 15 or 16 where it's implied that he has like changed his name to escape his family his name is steve barnes now or something like that all right yeah uh i mean i i remember hearing gene say on another commentary he's like i could undo all this stuff i could have Ma- manjula just take the kids and move back to india they never did that but uh i mean now they've now it's a whole other thing and i i would also again suggest we've talked about the the problematic issues with Apu before i would definitely suggest if you haven't if you're a new listener please listen to our ones for much a poo about nothing and the two miss nahasapima pedalons with our awesome guest shivam bot who gave us a ton of insight into the the character of apu and what he represents i think uh, those are those are really good ones but i guess one other thing <laughs> uh the commentary for this one is com- incredibly unuseful but also entertaining it's a good it's a good like uh, recording because obviously uh, gary marshall's not with us anymore so it's mm-hmm. a bunch of funny writers hanging out with gary marshall for 20 minutes yeah. so you get that at least it's so great like he he calls him he's like i gave everybody a first job dan castellana i gave him his yeah. first job <laughs> it's like hey Kazaria didn't use an accent like this but uh <laughs> i did say that yeah uh, uh and god we're, we're delaying this so much but i will say like uh, i listened to this commentary back in i don't know 2008 2009 whenever this dvd set came out something that blew my mind and also you can hear it blowing matt selman's mind and other writers gary marshall not jewish yes yeah blew my mind italian <laughs> fellow i think that's where i learned it that he's uh that that's why fonzarelli was supposed to be masharelli his yeah. real name and then he's like i'm not jewish rosh hashanah is a good time like people in talk. people in new york just talk like this <laughs> yes, uh yeah. and so i like for a long time i thought he was penny marshall's dad so i got over <laughs> that fact but i still thought he was jewish until this commentary i uh well also hearing him talk i can't not hear paul f Tompkins. call perfect, me gary it's perfect impersonation of him and so it's it's, it's just a bunch of worshipful writers hanging out with him. Matt Selman gets in a one last dig at uh, Exit to Eden, Exit to Eden yeah. uh, the film. And yeah. we'll do our, a little bio on him when we get to uh, yeah. Larry Kidkill. <laughs> It's, uh, but also there's not as much information in this episode. No. Uh, the behind the scenes, unfortunately. But yeah, so I guess this episode begins, uh, of all places, at Ikea, which I had not shopped at an Ikea when I saw this. I didn't do it until I moved to Berkeley in 2006. I will tell you, uh, guys, that, uh, so this whole Ikea parody was in uh, Lisa the Beauty Queen, right? Yo, okay. Yes, so that's where it premiered. It's returning now. They finally go into it, but it is not a parody 
parody of Ikea. Shop is a parody of Store, an Ikea knockoff that was forced to change its colors and layouts in 1988, and then Ikea acquired it in 1992. Oh, wow. Okay, I didn't know that. But I will say, I didn't go into an Ikea until like 2008, 2007 maybe, and I think it's really classist when you make fun of people with Ikea furniture because the first time I walked into an Ikea, I was like, I can afford a couch? I can buy a bed? Uh, Right, yep, yep, yep. I'm surrounded by Ikea things now, like five five different Ikea bookshelves and uh, and also my Haskell couch over there, my Mm, L-shaped couch. Billy bookcases are great. And Uh, uh, when I moved out west uh, 10 years ago now, I bought a bunch of Ikea stuff and it's still holding together pretty good and I'm going to throw it all in a fire when I move to Canada, (laughs) whenever that happens. That's, well, I mean, people are so, you know, if you're really mobile, you know, it's really good to be able to buy super cheap furniture that you can literally just like throw away. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if five years on a couch is enough on a couch for me like and mm, i'm on nine and uh <laughs> still holding together yeah 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 our ikea bed we got home from like a vacation once and uh got into bed and the bed uh broke it was like the sort of the um the the rail that connected the headboard to the baseboard just ripped right out of the particle board like headboard mm. thing and we had it for 10 years so i mean it was just you know very very slowly 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 and then it just finally just collapsed and we went and bought the exact same model of bed and put it in there and you wouldn't even know it's yeah great. yeah i for me it was like a graduation of buying an ikea couch because before my couches were the free couches you fought, see on craigslist and yeah oh me too they were all like <laughs> hand-me-downs i remember like when i first lived with my uh, first serious girlfriend after high school i was like 20 and we were like let's go out and look at couches and i was like a couch is 1300 dollars Th- that's what it i was sitting criminal. on as a kid yeah. <laughs> uh yeah now the, the ikea i really do like ikea i can't go there to buy a small thing and not leave without spending like $200 on stuff. Like, yeah. You got to watch out for that, for the second section of Ikea. Once you get all your furniture and they send you into the section that has all of the random baskets and uh, kitchen gadgets and stuff like that. That That's where they get you. And that yeah. stuff I wouldn't buy. I wouldn't use Ikea kitchen gadgets. That's <laughs> lamps that don't look like lamps. Bad idea. Yeah, that's those, the room Apu yes, went to. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> those lamps do get you. Well, also when I see like, well, I don't need a new lamp, but $9 for a lamp like i mean also they the round number on things it's it's uh it's an extra trick of like uh being seven dollars feels cheaper Uh, it seems free because it's not ten dollars like and and also too i've gone in there for the food just to like eat so the one i go to is the one in emeryville like if i go to uh if i go to a movie in emeryville and we're killing time until the movie starts and it's like why don't we just go eat some swedish meatballs and then once it's over we go walk through the labyrinth exit of uh impulse buys and spend at least 75 bucks on gotta get your poop please <laughs> yeah. yeah oh pooply or, or a green table i never heard of I, that. I just uh cleared off my green table to work from home <laughs> from ikea so there uh, you go uh but uh but yes why don't we hear our first clip here uh about them going to not ikea you put it together yourself all you need is me alan wrench <laughs> he's named after what he is cool costume it's not a costume they found me inside a meteor. Excuse me, where are your hamper lids? Hamper lids, uh, third floor. Help, I need tungsten to live. <laughs> tungsten! <laughs> Ooh, look at all these clever pencil holders. Ooh, I want to get the crank. Mm, you don't want something that overshadows the pencils. How about this 
Poopley. Ah, <laughs> um, no. Everyone in school picks on the Poopley kids. Even I do. Just hate them so much. Yes, I will have the Plopenlugan. And don't skimp on the Doodle Munch. That, uh, Those are all good Ikea jokes, although I'd have yeah. no idea what they were talking about in 1999. I was fully confused by by all of it. Like, I, I didn't realize the first dresser I'd have would be would be building it in 2006 after mm-hmm. buying it at Ikea. That, uh, and Alan Wrench is, I think, the fourth living robot <laughs> that uh, that they have met in this uh, Scully years. Yeah, does that include the uh, the car? I'm counting the car, okay. yeah. The electric car that uh, can feel pain. I, I I count that as a robot. Uh, but yeah, the the one that uh, chokes Skinner to death as well. There's that one. And uh, they meet another one at Baimon Sci-Fi Con, I All think. All right. Yeah. Uh, so it, uh, there's just something about a a robot screaming in pain for, to, that made the Scully team really laugh. I mean, I like Alan Wrench, especially like no human could fit in that Alan Wrench costume. I don't think I'd ever even heard of an Alan Wrench until I went to Ikea. Mm-hmm. They just never came up in my life. <laughs> there's so yeah, there's so much. Uh, this is extremely funny if you've ever been to Ikea. But yeah, you're right. Like in 1998, had I ever been to an Ikea? Absolutely not. So I totally, totally lost. Yeah, I'd... they were not in middle America where I grew up. No, no. no. Or suburban florida either i think when i first came back to florida in like 07 or something i found out that there was one in orlando or like there was one not is somewhere in florida i think ikea has spread a lot more in the u.s but uh, still still not that big uh, also yeah that it made me sad to think lisa is bullying people but i do love <laughs> for her, her <laughs> that it's over pencil holders Crook. Uh, really great how Yardley says crook. You know, there's a deleted, there's a hidden deleted scene joke oh, in I hate here those. <laughs> that uh, is that the Swedish meatballs are actually made out of unsold shower curtains. Is oh, okay. a joke. <laughs> well, uh, the food at IKEA is so cheap too. Yeah, like you can get I like an, find it bad, an entire buffet dinner for like three dollars. <laughs> yes, yeah. the food at IKEA is excellent. I will hear. No oh, argument. I meant cheap as an inexpensive. I love oh, sure. eating yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mac is, and cheese at Ikea. Just fill me up. <laughs> well, that's the idea, right? It's that they, they get you in with the, the cheap Swedish meatballs and then take you for everything you have. After you, you uh, fight with your partner, which always happens at Ikea, you just yep. load up on <laughs> yep. food. Yep. Uh, you have some the, Logan the, the classic. The classic, this will definitely fit in our car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the you have the Logan berries with your arguments. That's <laughs> though they are wrong that you have Lego stuff. You actually just eat utensils you can buy later in the impulse buy section. Uh, that well, I mean, whenever I drink out of those glasses, I'm like, these are good pint glasses. I'm gonna buy some when yeah. I get out of here. <laughs> and they and also then s- they, and then they get you at the very end with like frozen Swedish meatballs mm. and like jars of the lingonberry jam, and you're like, why well, never have to stop being at I ikea i could be at ikea every day if i fill my freezer with these i'm turning my apartment into a maze right now <laughs> uh yeah they also get the blue trays right that the the simpsons are eating off of i like to i like seeing the blue trays in this because i'm like oh 20 years later you still eat off of the blue trays at ikea after a bunch of uh, fun ikea jokes then apu and manjula arrive to begin the actual plot of the episode as uh, baby fever strikes hello simpsons hey apu manjula you guys are still married? Oh, yes, sir. Quite happily. Pay up, Marge. <laughs> Say, what you got there? I don't know exactly. It's from the room of lamps that do not look like lamps. Oh, little Maggie. Aren't you cute with your little bow? Do boot the area! Do boot the area! No, 
Snuggy loves baby talk. That was Hindi. Oh, <laughs> sorry. So, have you two thought about kids? <laughs> well, sure we have, but the decision to have a child is not to be made lightly. <laughs> <laughs> On the other hand, monkey see, monkey do. <laughs> kids are the best, Apu. You can teach them to hate the things you hate. And they practically raised themselves, what with the internet and all. Homer really predicted just throwing kids in front of the internet. I mean, there. that's what raised me. Uh, first TV yep, yep. and then internet tagged in. Oh, man. The the line, uh, uh, you can teach them to hate the things you hate, is it's it's like, oh, ha, 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 ha. And then you, you don't think about it any more than yeah. that. Like, just, just chuckle and move on. Because if you start to think about that line too much, it's far too true. And mm. it's far too painful to consider. Well, especially you think about like, well, what's Homer teaching them to hate? Uh -huh. Like... <laughs> But this uh, uh, this whole season and the previous two uh, show run by a dad with five kids, so it feels like Homer is Mike Scully dealing with a new parent and how naive they're being. Yes, yeah, no, that's that's most of the jokes in this episode is uh, the experienced and over it parent reacting to a new parent like he's i mean scully at that point his kids were like he was at least 10 years into fatherhood yeah. so he had a lot of experience to just reflect upon while his co-workers were uh if they were even starting families then they were new to it like selman selman became a dad at the writer of this episode matt selman he became a dad after writing this like he was just guessing what it was like to be a new father it's a real rarity that Maggie acts like a baby. Like this is just her being a baby. Also not aging at all in this episode either. <laughs> but uh, oh, right. Of course. You know, they we've said before that they don't get enough good comedy out of Marge. I kind of like her as a f putting foot in mouth, uh, well-meaning person. Like, yeah. There's, there's really good comedy here. It was like, <laughs> sorry. Uh, also in the background, I caught Range Rover mom and Gavin. So we're seeing Ooh. a lot of different parents in here. What was he mad about this time? You know, he's just kind of like sneering at his mom. Bike I, two pooplies. <laughs> I like seeing Manjula just get baby fever just right there, which mm. they've, they would have been married like three months at this point, maybe. Mm. But again, if Maggie never ages, then uh, it's hard to guess. Timeline's real fuzzy. Uh, but yes, they then start uh, having some of that old sex. and they, um, I've heard good things. That's that's where they get, uh, they get in most of their bad Indian culture humor of like talking about the Ganges overpopulation oh calcutta like that they pretty much squeeze all of that unfortunate stuff there yeah i mean uh it's corny and it could be mm, worse yes uh but uh as they're trying to conceive homer gets a little tmi <laughs> hey apu sitting in the ice cream cooler eh by chilling my loins i increase the chances of impregnating my wife wow too much information Thanks for the mental picture. Why don't you tell us what you really think? Just stop spouting those hackneyed quips. Could you be any more... Hello? <laughs> Look, just give me some ice cream. <laughs> um, how about one not touching your ass? Oh, Manjula has begun to ovulate. Ew, thanks for sharing. <laughs> more than I wanted to know. <laughs> Watching a lot of sitcoms. I know he's chandlering out. That's what I, he's like. <laughs> very, very nineties. Yeah. I, yeah. I love that they're making fun of like, here's what a bad joke would be here. Like the easy, that just is a must see TV setup of, Oh, why are you doing that? To chill my loins for this. 
more than I wanted to do. Like, <laughs> right, yeah. right. Like that's the punchline to every joke. Right? <laughs> so Homer has to throw out like 18 of them in a row. I also yeah. feel like Scully doesn't really care about the power plant or burns anymore. So like if Homer needs someone to talk to, not at most, he comes into Apu's uh, establishment. Like Apu has become a friend in his season. He's his closest friend. Yeah. In this. Like they are doing so many things. They cook together. out together. Yeah. And if you remember, like go back to season two, the joke is that Apu is invited to them stealing cable and getting the boxing fight like it's a joke that he's even there yes. like you invited the convenience store guy what the hell <laughs> Uh, but now they're so close. Homer is like very interested into their uh, their sex lives, and they had their wedding at their house, of course. <laughs> uh, there we, is there is a mention of the nuclear power plant later in the episode, but it's 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 so dismissive as to almost prove the point of not caring about the nuclear power plant anymore, <laughs> even by the way that it's mentioned. We get to see the P and C pregnancy test. That's a funny name. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> And, and it is also kind of scratch and win, which uh, fits with the aesthetics yeah. of a quickie mart. I like that. Two really good jokes come out of this uh, baby, baby lemon and also pirates are wild later. Now, now I'm guessing that's not the reality of a, a home pregnancy test, though, Chris, right? Uh, now having having never taken one personally, mm. um, no. And, I, it, and it's also it's so funny because just the idea of, of, of getting people's hopes up. You know, yes. in a slot machine sort of way, right. raising their emotions and then and then smashing them down for a pregnancy <laughs> test. It's, it's oh a cool man, machine. yeah, that's right. That's good. Not really, not the real thing though. I mean, the the, uh, the uh, you know what's funny though is the obvious the obvious go to joke about the pregnancy test is that they're they're impossible to read, which every uh, every other sitcom was doing the joke where they do the pregnancy test and it's like what's wait. It's a line. Is that a minus meaning no baby or a line meaning yes baby? Wait, no. Uh, there's a second line. It's two lines. What's two lines? <laughs> is two lines no or is two lines yes? A red line versus a blue line. Yeah. And uh, that's that's the joke is that nobody can actually read them or figure it out or you go diving back into the garbage can, you know, throwing things everywhere to try to find the instructions again to figure it out meanwhile this is the this is what they land on which is good it's it's, it's good actually humor. uh chris the previous pregnancy test uh joke in the show i looked it up it's from season three and mm -hmm. it's um from i married marge and it's the barnacle bills uh, pregnancy test yes. yeah. and uh the joke oh. is you get a free corn cob pipe but the uh the joke <laughs> they run with is like it's it's one color if you you are pregnant and one if you're not but it's one in the middle that they end up on and that's when marge leaves to go to hibbert's right. and uh Homer tells them the story of how they got married. I was thinking of that Barnacle Bill test because the second joke with it involves a pirate. So I was like, this is their second yeah. like pirate uh, birth test since. But uh, in this case, they went with the obvious sitcom thing that Chris mentioned where it's just like, oh, what is it? We got to go to the doctor now. <laughs> and uh, I also love her saying like, oh, that's sex for nothing. And he says, well, that is a grim assessment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, uh, and so they then go to like a barbecue, which, yeah, like you said, Bob, it's so weird. Homer invites Apu to a barbecue uh, George Meyer mentions that putting bean cans to explode is actually like a, a deadly prank he did at the B Boy Scouts of just throwing just throwing your can of beans in the fire and then you're hit with scalding beans eventually <laughs> and so I'm sure some shrapnel oh, sure. too yeah and uh, another another great joke of Homer just being like seen it all when he says decided <laughs> yeah, yep yep but, uh, and, and also though I really love that Homer's understanding of sex is two positions. Yeah, I mean, he's very, he's a very tired man. Mm -hmm. On top and underneath. <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, though I also wonder how often Apu has sex in Sanjay's bed. Like, is this is this the first time? I wonder. Also, where's Sanjay at the birth of his like nephews? Sanjay's like, not even at his just... wedding. Like Sanjay yeah. is written out of the series. That's true. I miss Sanjay. <laughs> they they still have time to talk about having sex in his bed, but but yes, instead Homer helps by uh, basically writing and directing a porno. <laughs> oh, Homer, we have tried everything. Oysters, gravity boots, Sanjay's bed, every possible position. Really? On top and underneath? Hey, yes. Well, don't <laughs> worry, I can help you. I'm all about ideas. Kid, come and get it. <laughs> now, this situation is guaranteed to end in pregnancy. I'm willing to play the high school jock, but did you have to cut the roof off my car? Up, 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 up. That's an Apu question. You're Greg. Uh, gee, Betsy, it's such a nice night. Why don't we go all the way? But, Greg, my dad will kill me. And you have that scholarship to Ivy League State. Listen up, baby. <laughs> Tomorrow I'm shipping off to Vietnam. I, I thought I was going to Ivy League State. My mistake. Stay in the moment. Just promise not to forget me on your dinosaur bone digging up trip. <sighs> and that's my cue to exit. But Homer doesn't actually no. instead uh, no. peeps on them. I, I thought the joke was going to be, uh, oh, Homer's a creep, but I'm glad they didn't go there. Yes. He just is too enthusiastic <laughs> about the rat party. Uh, but, well, he does peep on them later. I, I guess like, that's true. <laughs> Homer's a little bit of a creep. This also made me miss Jan Hooks, like R.I.P. Yeah, like, yeah, I guess both of our guest stars are, are deceased. So. Yeah, I suppose I should play. I think we've given her the uh, death jingle before. We don't need to give her the insulting death jingle. She's let's received just, it. Yeah, let's save that for just Gary Marshall. Yeah, please but. call him Gary. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah. that is also such a great joke. When they cut to Homer mouthing the words as they yes, say it. Yeah. Yes, yes, That's so good. That's so good. And he yes. mutilated a poos car. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> like I was thinking about this and um, out, we got all the uh, the Indian stuff out of the way, mostly the insulting stuff. Like it doesn't matter that a poo is of Indian descent for any of this stuff after this. Like mm. not, his, his race does not matter or his background doesn't matter for any of these jokes or the story, which I like. Yeah, I'm glad of that. The, the positions thing is the closest. I'm shocked. I'm glad they didn't go with the hack thing of saying like everything in the Kama Sutra. Like, yeah, there is a Kama Sutra joke in the previous Apu episode, so it's not like they never did it. But maybe that's why they're like, oh, it, it'd be repetitive to do that again. And uh, yeah, then Homer, uh, we get to see that they hit the jackpot. They get they get a pirate, which confuses them, and they find out that the pirates are wild, and so <laughs> they win. That thing it just messes with you. The, the P and C <laughs> test, uh, and that's then. That's where Homer is peeping in on them too, which I I get the feeling they are not in a first uh, floor apartment either. Uh, so uh, Homer had to climb for that. Then we cut to nine months later. They just have to fully skip nine months, and I love how ridiculously they just do it and just shrug. And all the uh, what what feel like bad episode pitches to me. Yeah, I love the uh, here. It's a quick clip here. Man, the last nine months sure were crazy. I'll say I learned the true meaning of Columbus Day. I enjoyed a brief but memorable stint as Sideshow Marge. I became the most popular girl in school, but blew it by being conceited. And then I learned the true meaning of winter. 
<laughs> yeah, I guess just it's winter, not a, Christmas. A TV season is about nine months, so it feels like we just missed a season that they never made. <laughs> uh, I think they should do that sideshow Marge one. I think you know, Krusty and Marge bouncing off each other. You got you got conflict there. I think they could do something with. I that. like it. Uh, yeah, and also they the thought that they'd ever do a Columbus Day episode, though I think they kind of did do that. But uh, obviously, Columbus Day culturally insensitive to do now. But then uh, last year for a Fat Tony episode, they did do an episode that was about like an Italian street food fair that definitely is the kind that like replaced Columbus Day in most cities. Uh, though Bart didn't learn anything in that episode, as far as I recall. We we learned that uh, Fat Tony loves to sing show tunes, so we get to see Fat Tony sing a show tune if you watch that episode. But this episode, okay, there's a joke later in an- another episode where it's the flash forward and they show that Maggie hasn't aged. Like it's the, though they make the joke of, oh, and where's Maggie? Here she is. And they just pick up a baby, even though it's the one where Lisa's the president. Oh, right. And then Marge right. has to say, oh, I'm glad we get to have Maggie from actual Maggie who's busy doing something. Oh, but, but I felt yeah, like there, there's <laughs> also, also because, you know, we recently, you know, sort of went back and rewatched this episode and then just, you know, sort of let Disney plus keep running. Uh, and then it goes into the next episode, uh, take my wife's sleeves, which not to ruin a joke from an upcoming episode of talking Simpsons, but <laughs> the, that, that episode starts with another time skip joke in which they say, Oh, let's, let's do this. Let's do, let's go to this restaurant tonight. Homer goes, nah, we'll go next month. And then immediately it's like one month later. <laughs> I do like that uh, joke. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, and EIEI Doe from a couple episodes ago, that also is just like, basically takes place over seven months too. It's just like Naruto. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, or uh, one piece. but yeah, it, this was the time it did bug me as a, as a teen watching this because a baby age, in nine months like maggie would be much different nine months later but Mm -hmm. we we just have to accept she's gonna she'll be a baby forever so yes then it cuts to the quickie mart and like we said you know first off a woman i think any woman would know she has more than one baby inside of her what uh, with all the uh the prenatal care you receive or should be receiving like ultrasounds one one sonogram would tell you yeah and yeah. but, but on top of that, even if they entirely never went to a doctor, I think a woman would feel that she has more than one b- uh, baby in her uterus. I think uh, I, that seems pretty likely. Then they only do one joke about that. This is very typical sitcom pregnancy stuff to me of saying, like, am I still attractive, though I'm pregnant? And the husband has to, like, worriedly go, oh, of course. Oh, yes. Yeah. They, they say so they get one of those in there before they just dump the whole pregnancy and, and be done with it. And uh, and I wish they did more with Gil working at the quickie mart too yeah yeah i did like him and then, and then him injuring himself was nice too but i feel yeah. like the scene was written backwards because it's like she's got to break her water or have her water break in the quickie mart he's got to say clean up on aisle three and yes. that's got to be the joke <laughs> you're right how yeah. do we get here <laughs> that's where they started <laughs> then the conditioner bottle came in also you know again sanjay where is he he could be running the store but uh gil gil working at the quickie mart i feel like that's a good b plot you got you got something there maybe he takes it over when you write apu out of the show officially um uh but yes apu finds out he has more than he bargained for oh my sweet husband say hello to your firstborn child you shall be the jewel of our lives Now say hello to your other seven children. My... What? <laughs> we had quite a discussion about the funniest way to reveal them to you. <laughs> you have octuplets. It rolls off your tongue and into your heart. Octuplets. 
<laughs> oh, Pooh, you should have seen your face when they showed you those babies. <laughs> yeah, that, it looked just like that. Great, yeah, I love the drawing of freaked out Apu yeah, frozen in place. They apparently took time to stitch extra pockets in Hibbert's, like, uh, doctor's coats. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're right, that had to take a lot of time. That was that was the funniest way to show him. <laughs> I, they, went, they went all out with that coat in a way they clearly did not go all out with her prenatal care prior to this. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I also would think it's just unhealthy for just born infants to be like kept under a coat in a pocket yeah in pockets not good. yeah it's mm-hmm. probably not the healthiest thing but so they do reveal that manjula had been taking pills uh, she was taking them secretly uh for fertility as was apu dosing her and the rest of the family that that seems to show that they would be more interested and interested enough to know that she does have eight children inside of her but they didn't i mean it's a giant plot hole it doesn't yeah matter, but <laughs> I uh, well, for, uh, yeah. What I liked about that that whole that scene, a well, first of all, so I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is the late '90s. Fertility drugs are a thing. Why isn't fertility drugs a part of the angle of this story? Like they they, they just conceived in the backseat of a car. Homer's crazy plan from <laughs> from Greece like worked. Um, but no, it was fertility drugs. So first of all, Hibbert takes out a giant sized calculator and is going over. Well, that would. You, you took fertility drugs and he slipped you extras that would only account for five babies <laughs> as if there's a linear scale and then they ask who slipped him fertility drugs and homer march and then bart everybody but lisa <laughs> lisa abstained no yeah. lisa did not do it so we have an episode in which lisa picking on kids at school and and Bart is slipping people fertility drugs. <laughs> very odd. Yeah. He's really invested in Apu's, uh, you know, happiness as a father, I yeah. guess. <laughs> yes. and uh, I was I was saying earlier how, uh, I mean, I enjoy this episode and I like the next one with Apu, but I feel like this kind of ruins his character because, again, you have to reflect, like, whatever Apu joke you make, remember, he's a dad with eight kids. I also feel like animation-wise, it's like, all right, guys, you got to draw eight people in this scene with Apu every mm. time. Eight distinct people and they all got to be moving around. It's, it feels like a lot, even even though the idea is funny they weren't necessarily thinking like what would uh, the animators do with this and how hard will this be for all of these distinct characters to be sharing the same scenes constantly well and the the director on the commentary mike b anderson he points out like boy it was uh it's tough to design eight different looking babies like the only thing you can do is hair and and to switch it up uh selman says that uh, he just went to a website that listed indian names and picked the 80 found funniest and just went with that uh and also that the other writers are very jealous of him because oh. you get character payments if you create a character in an episode you write you what? get like you it's not like a giant bonus but you do get extra money if those characters appear in later episodes hmm. and and they're like you created eight characters and i think they were eight separate payments for each character uh which uh, that is a pretty good scam on his part <laughs> i think the uh, the classic story of character payments paying off the most is the guy who wrote the one-off episode of Cheers that Frasier appeared in. Uh, he got it until the series of Frasier ended. God. Oh, wow. 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 Okay. Huh. Also, uh, I got to say, Manjula, not off to a good start as a mother saying, mommy's clear favorite. Like, that's, <laughs> that's kind of bad on her part. <laughs> She's already ranked them. Yes. Which, like, you've you known them for, like, t- five minutes. What do you know? How can you pick a favorite already? Uh, but also, parents shouldn't do that. But, uh, uh, and also, the uh, the overuse of fertility drugs, that's actually what the Octomom's uh, doctor got uh, his license revoked for. They, oh, wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, Chris is totally right. Like, there's no commentary on this, on, like, the ethics of fertility drugs or the ethics of having this many children. That mm-hmm. is not really a focus of the issue, of this episode. I think it would be if they did it, again, 10 years mm-hmm. later. Well, sure. you know, in the in the next clip, Kent Brockman tries to make it an issue. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and it gets it gets shut down, like, entirely. I like his very loaded rhetorical question. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. Actually, uh, yeah, let's give it a listen. Would you say you and your babies have a love relationship <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yes no say it we need a soundbite <laughs> we have a love it relationship oh. yes Kent Brockman channel 6 how would you respond to people who say this kind of multiple birth is more suited to say a possum than a human being well, uh, who would say such a thing well pundits Wags? I'm not the one on trial here. No one is on trial. This is a <laughs> joyous occasion for all, and the outpouring of support has been so lucrative. Yes, we have already received lifetime supplies of baby powder and Pepsi B. Free <laughs> baby cola? Oh, Pooh hits the jackpot, and I'm stuck with these useless one tuplets. Gee, sorry for being born. I've been waiting so long to hear that. And Bart just accepts that hug. He's like, eh, okay. <laughs> like, uh, that he's, but Homer has been waiting forever for Bart to apologize for existing. That's uh, that's mm. a good joke. But yeah, the way Kent brings it up just so loadedly with the classic, like, you know, people are saying, like, uh, which is an, a, a weasel way of saying what you want to say as oh, a journalist. Uh, my, many people have been saying this. Yeah, a lot of people have been saying that. So, a lot of people have been saying our, our podcast is the momentum of a runaway freight train. Uh, you're hearing it more and more. More and more every day. Oh, I gotta say, this Pepsi B feels like a joke about Pepsi One, which was a new Pepsi. It was basically like in the late 90s, they gave all of the diet cola brands, like, I guess, non feminine names so men would actually drink them. Mm -hmm. And Pepsi One was one of the first ones, like Pepsi One and Coke Zero, things like that, instead of Diet Pepsi and Diet Coke. Mm -hmm. Was it supposed to be like baby Pepsi? Pepsi for babies? Is that what they're. I believe that's why it's called B. Yeah, Pepsi for babies. The babies love soda yeah, they just they suck it right up they <laughs> they they told people back in the day you know because this this seems to be a lot of references to um you know like baby strategies from the 1930s but like i believe seven up was originally like pitched as uh, something you give to your baby hmm. give your baby seven up wow <laughs> if your baby needs a mixer uh oh yeah oh yeah i just i just looked it up while we were doing this and there's literally just like advertisements a baby like a straight up a six-month-old baby in a diaper swilling seven up out of the bottle and they're like give this to your babies wow i would get that i would drink seven up when i was sick that's the only time i've ever had seven up and sprite (laughs) it's like i guess you just drink these when you're sick and they Mm -hmm. do something well also you know those parents were giving their kids like a a couple drops of whiskey and milk to put their kids to sleep Mm. so you know it's different they get they and they gave that to the dion quintuplets i learned as i was researching this for this episode They, they gave them they gave them uh drops of of rum just to chill them out for once <laughs> the uh i did read the dion kids they did a ton of ads too just like countless ads you couldn't get away from them like that uh and i think you know that i think meanwhile the chuku the, the K- uh, kate uh, plus eight like they get tons of free stuff that way though honestly like the kate plus eight though they are stars of a television show and they're getting paid reality prices like that's a secret of all those reality oh yeah shows, yeah so. and uh, like as a bonus they, their lifestyle is subsidized by corporations but still they're not being paid like what uh, a simpsons voice actor is being paid yes, yeah <laughs> 
despite starring in a highly rated TV show. But that's in this time in 99 when they did this, they couldn't imagine an America where they just go like, oh, they're the stars of a reality show. Like, yeah, this the circus we see later is the craziest they could think of. Like when John and K plus eight way worse than honestly the circus in this, I think. Yeah, they truly could not imagine how exploitative it would get. So then we head back to the uh, Apu and Manjula's home and we get to see more of their gifts, including like uh really dating it that huge tube tv oh, man. like just a giant mm-hmm. box just imagine how much that weighs <laughs> uh how who could get that through the door even we then get to see how the media quickly turns on them how do you feel about this avalanche of free merchandise oh the companies are so generous except the q-tip people they only gave us three crates they can rot in hell but the good folks at sony <laughs> Their giant TV will really help us love our babies. <laughs> I'm here at Shelbyville Hospital, where a local woman has just given birth to nine. That's right, nine babies. Oh. <gasps> Some say eight babies is a blessing, but they don't know the joy of nine. Would you say you're on cloud nine? We're, We're on, on cloud, cloud nine. nine. Oh. Oh. They even have a better sound bite than us. Nine babies? That's barbaric. Non-uplets? Now that's something you don't see every day. <laughs> Let's get this stuff to the real heroes. The Shelbyville Nine! <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw, I found two cases of uh, non-uplets born in history. Really? And of course, uh, they're all very sad because... Yeah, they, yeah. Is, yeah. they don't all live, I'm assuming. So then, like, yeah. uh, this episode was laughed by the Octomom case, but it could never, like the non-uplet thing just feels like it cannot happen in in this Physically reality. Physically yeah. happen, yeah. Not until well, <laughs> I mean... I, Gee, I, I think it I think it could uh, just just based on the incredible like medical technology that mm. exists today to, you know, be able to keep babies that are. Born. I mean, the thing is, it's like, you know, again, with the Chuku octuplets, like the, the one that passed away when she was born, she you have to understand she weighed eight ounces. Oh, my God. Eight ounces. Yes. Just in case you don't have any like you know scale for this, like babies typically come out weighing like you know five, six, seven, eight pounds, right? Like yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, once we have you know matrix style external wombs, sure <laughs> we can. We can. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to uh, make my face look red later in life by saying I heard you on a podcast three years ago. There are now non-uplets in the world, uh, and you're sitting but... and you're sitting there holding nine babies, it's and I was like, like, I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> no one told me this could happen. Uh, the I think. I'll also, it's so cruel they take back it's not only that they gave them free things and they're gonna stop but they take everything back and and steal their ottoman or try to as well right right it's so horrible it definitely gets to the the truth the poetic truth at the heart of it which is that you are going to be showered with gifts and help for exactly as long as you are exploitable and the second that you lose your flavor of the month status all of that will absolutely get revoked fortunately i think for the people who do have you know the, the both the mccoys and the chukus like they had houses donated to them and a lot of that just wow. really comes from like community efforts of people all mm. kind of coming together and that's kind of generally what happens when somebody finds them you know excuse me that's what you would hope would happen when somebody finds themselves in a situation like this that there would be a sort of a community grassroots rallying around helping somebody out that i think is what happened a lot with a lot of things that got donated is that you know it was it was community and friends and extended family trying to help people out versus just sort of relying on corporations but it's true like did they it's it's an exaggerated joke but there's there's such truth there i think that again is why everyone turned on the 
Octomom instantly because they they felt she wanted it too much. It felt too yeah. too planned out. You know like, what? Like honestly, I think her uh, her foreign sounding name didn't help. I think sure. that just also put a lot of that. That people are projecting a lot of things onto mm. her. I think in an ugly way. Yeah, and uh, and again, apparently, uh, as the New York Times reported, oh, d- doing doing good. If doing her name good. was say like Betsy McCoy and not sure. Nadia Suleiman, people <laughs> would be probably uh, a little more open to the idea of her having eight kids. But we know yeah. all know how this country is. So. I mean, I think that. Uh, I don't think that was their intention, but the family in this who replace the uh, the Nahasapia Pedalons are white as well, and yeah. from Shelbyville. So it's uh, I it's like that, that they're rivalry. from Shelbyville. So it's uh, <laughs> I don't think we've heard a mention of Shelbyville in a while on the show. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I I also like Apu knowing he's so media trained now. He's like they have a, even have a better soundbite than us, and they were more into saying it. Like there was I mean, no they, even... they, yeah, they did the line right. Yeah. They yeah, they gave him what they wanted. I I love how they demand a soundbite like that. That's how the media uh, just coaching them slightly off screen. The same media that will destroy them <laughs> soon enough. There. And after a uh, mention of it, like years ago on the show, we finally see a child sleeping in a drawer. That's right. That's <laughs> oh, I didn't even think of Kearney's that. son. This was the first time I caught in the background how one baby is in one real carrier, and the rest are in makeshift ones. And I think implying that all they thought they were going to have was one, so they bought one thing for one baby, and now they're overwhelmed <laughs> with it. I think one is in a lasagna pan. I think, <laughs> uh, which also I mean in a ways child abuse the, these funny jokes but maybe that suitcase was comfortable i've never sure. slept in one yeah <laughs> well also they said on the commentary that they had more crying and they're like well, they had to cut it and make it slightly nicer because it was annoying them and they're like this is driving us crazy what is this yoshi's island hey <laughs> hey i love that game i'm sorry my favorite top five game for me and it's a yeah. mario game it is right. <laughs> i agree we're we're all on the it's a mario game team here yes we're all on the it's a mario game team uh, absolutely thank oh, you and they they had to make that cry more annoying they said right because um in yoshi's island originally the the baby mario cry wasn't so annoying and people just ignored the baby and so they actually had to actively make it painful to hear to force the player to go and get the baby just to make it stop it works which is which is how normal babies work like yeah. they, they absolutely like when they need to get your attention they'll make the most horrific shrieks Oof. you know not not because their life is in any danger but because they're slightly uncomfortable but because it's the only way to get you to go over there and be like okay please stop what do you want i have zero parental instincts but when baby mario falls off of yoshi all hands on deck to get that baby back as soon as possible <laughs> right. yep that's right that's right yeah they, they are just tortured for a little while and that's where we get the the opening sound clip we've heard of uh, Apu having a wonderful dream where he's dead <laughs> and, and Manjula refuses to allow him to die like uh, and mm-hmm. that, uh, so that's some good new parent jokes there <laughs> yeah Yep, for sure. Yeah, and then this episode we get two different callbacks to Apu's consternation speeches. Yeah. here. I, I think it's funny because Apu is generally like almost too genial, especially at his job. So seeing Apu be a little pissy is very funny. Yes, yeah. Uh, bringing back, I can't believe you don't shut up. Yeah. is uh, is a really good one. I think they had the most fun with that, or they found that element of Apu in the uh, the Billy and the Clonosaurus yes, runner. Yes, that's the greatest one of those, but. This one of Ned, I mean, Ned is uh, the perfect person to pick to be the annoying to positive parent. It's really good. 
who's just like uh, bundles of joy. Like, and also the cradle rash. How do you get cradle rash when you sleep in a suitcase? Yeah. <laughs> like he refuses to even listen to what Apu is saying. And we, yeah, we get the, I can't believe you don't shut up. <laughs> and uh, then we cut uh, Homer and Marge at home as they, uh, they reflect on the plot in bed as so often they do. Oh, look at that. And oh, a gingerbread house. Hansel and Gretel are set for life. You know, I saw Apu today. He's really frazzled. Boy, that Hansel sure can eat. Ah, my corneas! You were saying? Apu <laughs> told me all eight babies have colic. Although he thinks one or two might just be going along with the crowd. Eight kids. Hmm. I'm sterile, right, baby doll? Yes, dear. <laughs> from the nuclear plant. Beautiful. Now, is colic uh, an actual uh, disease or condition, or is it just like a temperamental thing? Or it's, yeah, it's sort of a uh, well. Okay, I, I'm not a doctor. I, I think it's sort of a catch-all term for like when a baby just won't stop screaming and yelling, even though there is nothing technically wrong with it. Um, mm. And so you just sort of have this problem where no matter what you do, the baby just won't won't calm down. Just super super fussy all the time for no. No reason that can be discerned basically some babies are just jerks <laughs> yeah basically basically yeah it can uh, really it can, you know it can really wear on you for sure it's like I, you're not hungry you're not tired you're not in pain you're just just yelling homer's sterility had been previously set up and brother can you spare two dimes that's right that's oh how, yeah okay that's how he got the first annual montgomery burns award for outstanding achievement in the field of excellence and that uh, is our our highest patron tier yes yeah <laughs> and uh this Viewmaster joke. I had a Viewmaster as a kid, but I think I was. We were like the last generation with Viewmasters. I had one, and it felt like a hand-me-down from the seventies or something <laughs> because uh, they were all out of date. All my Viewmaster cartridges. Yeah. Oh, we had a Viewmaster uh, projector too. We were, we were top of the line with the Viewmasters. Yep. You could you could project it right on the wall and things like that. It was super boring. I and I love the chunk of moving it. Like it was, was reinvented in nineteen ninety five as the Virtual Boy. <laughs> <laughs> they even kept it red. It's true. And the, yeah. and the frame rate was almost identical. <laughs> it's true. Uh, and uh, yeah, Homer's satisfaction at being sterile is pretty funny. I like that. Uh, and then uh, Homer and... Also the fact that Marge manages the, the family knowledge of whether or not he's sterile and why. Oh, yeah. Sterile, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> she knows it better than he does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Homer and Marge head over to Apu and Manjula's. They see a family in, in peril here. Apu, covered in baby bottles, is pretty horrifying, and apparently that's a real thing. Was that like a sharper image catalog thing? Maybe. Maybe. I, I have never... You know, it's entirely possible that's a real thing because everything is a real thing right True. like somebody did it i will tell you that that is not common okay. <laughs> I, I don't i don't even mean just the eight even the one even the one baby <laughs> bottle uh strapped to a man's chest is uh not yep. something that you see. You but. won't find that in Sky Mall, probably. <laughs> it, see, it, uh, it seems counterintuitive. It'd be easier to hold a bottle than have it rest against your chest. But, right, uh, right, right, right. Uh, I mean, really what happens is, you know, with the with the one baby is just like you will, there will definitely be days when as a dad, you will go into work and you will realize, you'll just look down at yourself and realize there's just like mystery stains on your clothes. Mm. Like you picked up the baby for a second. The baby decided that that was the moment to throw up the entire contents of their 
their stomach silently, you know, all over your shoulder. And then you put them down and then it takes a while before you realize you just got yacked on completely Boy, uh, or you like... sat on something or whatever it is. The mystery stain just it happens. It happens to everybody. <laughs> Little barf ninjas sneaking around. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yep. <laughs> uh, well, let's hear about something more appetizing like banana bread. Welcome to my nightmare. Huh. I knew you had your hands full with the babies, so I baked you some banana bread. Oh, hallelujah, our problems are solved. We have banana bread. Well, you don't have to be sarcastic. Oh, look who's here, the family with one baby. How do you manage? Marge, they've turned into jerks. <laughs> You've been rude. Can I offer you something to drink? No, no thanks. thanks. Oh, Pooh, they're doing it again. Okay, break it up. Maybe you two should get a nanny. Yes, and what would I pay her with? Banana bread? Sorry, sorry. It's just we haven't slept in days and we're running out of money and banana bread? <laughs> what the hell were you thinking? Banana bread. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize again. As a token of forgiveness, please take this baby. Mm. No, Marge, no! I love uh, Margie's excitement at taking that baby. She's like, yeah, another baby right now. I'll take it. Very good acting on Hank Azaria, of course, doing the Apu voice. But him fighting with himself on whether to apologize or be upset, yeah. like back and forth. Uh, I, I do really love that choice. Homer and Marge, to me, come off as very Hollywood folks, too. It's just like, you two should get a nanny. Like, yeah, we should, huh? Like, <laughs> well, where? how do we do that now? Where? Who's got that nanny money? <laughs> but, I mean, they definitely do need a nanny. But lots of people need nannies doesn't mean you get one for free. <laughs> But uh, I heard they show up after leaving Flushing Queens. Oh, and they're quite that's fetching. True. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, also this just made me hungry for banana bread. Mm, me uh, too. I got a couple. Yeah, of I know. I feel. I feel kind of like I don't know. I, I. I feel like Apu needs to dial it down a little bit here because like banana bread. Yeah. Like, that that it's not going to solve all your problems, but it is definitely going to make your next ten minutes a lot nicer. It lets you <laughs> repurpose rotting bananas, mm, and that's good does. for all of us. I, mm -hmm. I, got, I got a couple. I've been eyeing for banana bread already, and this episode right. made me want to. Well, I haven't uh, done the uh, quarantine thing of breaking bread yet, so I need to. Mm -hmm. uh, I got a bread pan going unused all this time. But yes, <laughs> I think we thought. We I think we thought we were going to be doing a lot more baking bread during quarantine than we actually are uh, owing to the giant industrial sack of uh, Costco flour that's currently in our garage. <laughs> um, uh, that's we, a... we didn't know we were. It was the beginning of quarantine. Everybody was freaking out. You I... know, we, we, we anything we could get our hands on, we, we were buying. It's true. Yeah. Then like eventually I realized like, oh, yeah, I can just buy bread whenever I want and uh, <laughs> it'll be fine. Yeah. I... Yeah. Well, I finished off my 15-pound bag of rice, though. I went mm. through that rice pretty fast. But That's good. That's good. <laughs> uh, but yes, that scene ends, and we immediately get Ooh. our guest star of the episode. Now it's time to play our very respectful uh, Talking Simpsons death jingle for uh, this guest. Death stalks you at every turn. Ah, there it is, death! So yes, Gary Marshall, who passed away on July 19th, 2016 at age 81. And previously we had just redone our episode about some enchanted evening and Penny Marshall was the guest That's on that. Right. So now both of the Marshall guests are deceased. So yeah. RIP Gary Marshall, but please call him Gary. Call him Gary. He's, yeah. uh, I mean, Gary Marshall, his voice is just funny. He's a funny man to hear yeah. say things. And I think he was cast on this because uh, one of his autobiographies had just come out. And uh, one of the writers, I think possibly Matt Selma, 
Salman, who wrote this episode, was listening to the book on tape version. He was like, that guy's got a real fun voice. <laughs> he should be a guest. And of course, if you want to know about Gary Marshall, uh, he started with sitcom writing on things like The Dick Van Dyke Show, The Danny Thomas Show, The Joey Bishop Show, and The Lucy Show. And then we're going to create Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, and Mork and Mindy, and then directed movies like Overboard, Beaches, Exit to Eden, Pretty Woman, The Princess Diaries, and then uh, a lot, a ton of movies, really. The and Holiday Film. The Holiday Trilogy of Valentine's Day, New Year's Eve, and Mother's Day. And that's Gary Marshall, period. I mean, yeah. Happy Days... We were not really around for the, the 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 huge rise of Happy Days, but Happy Days was like a juggernaut in ratings, and there were like eight spinoffs of Happy Days. And it was a spinoff of something else. It was the biggest show for a time. It uh, and he is he was like the man who I guess the Shonda Rhimes of his day is what he <laughs> yeah, was. I think yeah, so. Yeah, uh, I have I, I actually. I think I talked about this on Good Job Brain once, where we went over the all of the shows that were actually, believe it or not, spinoffs of Happy Days, and there were a ton of them. Plus animated shows too. A million of them. Yeah, those. I gotta mm-hmm. say, like, uh, it's a despicable movie with a just disgusting premise but i have watched overboard about 50 times as a kid and i still have a soft spot for that just wretched movie that was, they... any, yes anything over anything uh so like overboard um geez what else the money pit you know anything that aired on hbo Spaceballs. all the time yeah it was like that was like you, you we know these movies like we're so familiar with them because they were just constantly available on television and then you think back and it's like Wow, what an awful <laughs> premise! Yeah, I don't want. Film. I don't want to know all of the Dragnet movie, but it's all in my head because it was oh, on yeah. HBO. Yep, yep. Like, yeah, the the well, I think Gary Marshall he did the. I'd never heard of it until Mike Scully said it on the commentary. But the Flamingo Kid, yeah, which, uh, like Mike Scully said, one of his all time favorite movies. It's a Matt Dillon film about a a young man from Brooklyn who gets a summer job at a ritzy. Uh, beach resort thing and he learns a lot of lessons there and maybe gets a little lucky and uh, it's, a, it's a very young Matt Dillon he's just a baby in it uh, it looks okay I, it also looks like an HBO regular I would have seen if uh, if we if my family had had HBO for a month one uh, two years earlier I would bet and because he is such a funny guy with a funny voice like he was just like in mega mega minor roles throughout his career I think his first big role was a recurring character on Murphy Brown like the boss he's so good yeah Yeah, he's so good as that yeah he's I think he's in a couple Albert Brooks films too he plays Santa Claus in an Albert Brooks movie that I've heard many writers on the on commentaries bring up as as so funny I mean his voice is just hilarious one of his last jobs was a uh, he played a movie director a workman-like movie director on BoJack Horseman and Paul F. Tompkins got to meet him at a table read and uh, his story was that how he was there in a red sweater because he was going to a Christmas party afterward. And he was like, I'm going to a Christmas party. It'll be nice. I have a red sweater because of that. After listening to that commentary, I had to order, and it was only $4 on Ooh. Amazon, but I, I ordered Wake Me When It's Funny, How to Break Into Show Business and Stay There, the uh, the book they're talking about here. And uh, I love his name because his name is Larry Kidkill. Yes. And it's the cheapest joke you could tell someone threw it out there for a cheap laugh in the writer's room and they stuck with it (laughs) and it's one of the funniest jokes in this episode it's the best and also like gary even likes it he's like you got two k's in there it's uh it's a real comedy word uh but yes why don't we hear the wonderful voice of gary marshall mr nahasa pasa 
Ah, forget it. Listen, you look like you could use some help. Come with me. Okay. But you don't know who he is. Who cares? There's only one of him. What if your babies could live in a place with round-the-clock childcare, all expenses paid, full medical, dental, tutors, the works? I would say that there must be some sort of horrible catch. The zoo? What? Everybody loves my zoo. You don't love my zoo? I dare you to look at a kangaroo and not laugh. I dare you. <laughs> well, they're usually funnier. And it's so sad, that kangaroo. Yeah. It's so miserable. There are some sad animal jokes that are very reflective of my zoo experiences. Yeah, zoos are a bummer. I Well, maybe zoos are happier now. I don't think I've been to a zoo in like 15 years. I've been to some recently, and uh, some animals are happy. Okay, okay. <laughs> they even draw him to look like Gary Marshall. It's one of those guest stars that's technically another name, but they're just like, just draw him to be him, which he's also funny on the commentary saying like, oh, thanks for the nose you gave me. <laughs> <laughs> and also just that cut to the, yeah, the cut to the miserable kangaroos, and he's, he's so proud of his zoo. And when he takes him to the room, there's a great sign of like danger. Oh, no, wait, that's later, but the danger infant, d- danger newborns. But uh, the nursery, as he shows it off it is like the description i read of the dion quince viewing area for their nursery uh, the only difference is apparently in the thing i read it said that it was a one-way mirror that you could look in but they couldn't see you to make it mm. seemingly less it's like a, weird. a focus group <laughs> yeah but instead it's uh it's just glass for apu and manjula there uh this is also when we get another guest who fortunately is still with us not too shabby eh They'll have the best of care. And all I ask is that you let the local folks share a little glimpse of your blessing. But is it right to put such young children on display? Sure it is. Huh? Butch Patrick? That's right. I was TV's Eddie Munster, and being in the public eye didn't mess me up one bit. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, obviously. <laughs> hey, one question, Eddie. Butch. Yeah, right, right. If your mother was a vampire and your father was a Frankenstein, how come you are a werewolf? Huh. I never thought of that. Doesn't make sense, does it? But what does make sense is putting your children in the hands of Mr. Kidkill here. Please, please, Larry. Larry Kidkill. Call him Larry. That's right. You know, they did a call me by my first name joke with him there, too. What does make sense is putting your children in the hands, or sorry, putting your kids in the hands of Mr. Kidkill here. Uh, I mean, actually, the line is children. I'm sorry. Uh, Butch Patrick. One, I love that Apu knows the name. No one would have uh, known the name of the actor who played Eddie Munster. It helps that he's dressed up as Eddie Munster when he shows up. <laughs> but but who knew his name was Butch Patrick? No one remembers his name. He's uh, he's like he's nobody's favorite character from the Munsters. Who likes Eddie? Like that's like liking Pugsley most yeah. on Adam's Family. <laughs> Uh, well, probably if you grew up with the Munsters, y- you probably knew the name. Just, I mean, I feel like we're going to get to a point where people are going to be like, nobody knew the names of the people who played the characters on Roseanne. Nobody knows that. <laughs> those, it's like, oh, I know. I know all of it, right? So. Those, like, 60s uh, show openings, and the show openings for a while were so long that you would see, like, the character and their name huge under them. That's true. So we don't really yeah. get that anymore, so... We got it. Well, they had, like, uh, two commercials on their shows back then. Yeah. Like, I could right, tell you the right. entire cast of Gilligan's Island just 
based on seeing their names on the screen. Okay, yeah, that's true. I, yeah. Eddie Munster acts like he's, sorry, Butch Patrick, there acts like he's never been asked the question he's probably been asked his entire life because it doesn't make sense. And it's a thing that always is why I like the Adams Family more than the Munsters because the genealogy of the Munsters makes no sense. And they had to go, I just like, the Adams Family is mysterious and ooky. They're not just movie monsters hanging out together it's uh i much prefer they're, the they're sex show. weirdos yes they're exactly. not, yeah yeah <laughs> they're Come they're on. attainable too well okay they're not attainable because nobody has a just a hand that moves around places but most of us could be as weird as them but we can't actually be like a frankenstein listen that hand's a guy under a table until the movies <laughs> that uh, really impressed us seeing that hand actually leave the box uh, i think it still time. rules though those movies are the best they 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 rule but mm-hmm. but yeah butch patrick here it's also funny that this is they have him in this episode and i believe in take my wife's sleaze the neck is the next episode and that has yeah the dennis the menace in it so and uh fawns <laughs> yes oh yes. yeah that's right uh though the fawns not playing the fun actually yeah we've got we've got gary marshall here in and uh henry winkler in the next episode it's a it's a real happy days reunion here and Ron Howard previously in the season. You're right. Where mm. is Donnie Most? Where's Donnie Most? Uh, Donnie Most is left out. Yeah, they... somebody, somebody clearly here is being like, hmm, I get to write all these Simpsons episodes. Maybe I can meet all of my childhood heroes too. Who is, uh, is Tom Bosley alive? Let's check in. Uh, Mike, I mean, again, Mike Scully. He hired all his favorite musicians to do songs. He did all the. He did the things you would do if you were in charge of a TV show. I don't blame him for. He it. could never Good for you, buddy. Exactly. Yeah. He could never get Springsteen on though. He he wanted him so bad he's still he's he's the one guy who doesn't care about the cred of being on the simpsons he's the one famous person uh but yes they they also do a scene where they agree to the terms in bed together manjula and apu and then butch patrick breaks in and st- approves the signature which they already did a homer in the window joke but now they also do a butch patrick <laughs> breaks into the place he's looking for notary business he's very happy with his other <laughs> side gigs he's got going on I think pretty much uh, his job now is to go to conventions that are just full of like uh, the celebrity conventions. Our our friends on the Michael and Us podcast, they talk about those weird conventions that are just like all character actors you sort of remember from a movie and they're just all in a long line of signatures. Every horror convention is just like that. It's (laughs) like this woman was killed once in a trauma movie uh, 35 years ago and this Mm. is her job now. Yeah. I I had to at uh, one of my comic con jobs and she was so nice uh, but I had to interview this woman who like she had just been in Sharknado and her only other claim to fame of outside of le- of of known horror movies was being in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and I'm like oh boy I don't know what to ask this lady I would pay 20 bucks to meet Heather Langenkamp and I probably could oh of course I'd love to meet her now I, that's uh, that's <laughs> on my level I could, <laughs> I could speak to her but, uh, Wait, but I actually did I had an experience like this where we went and we covered when when WonderCon used to be in the, the Bay Area and I went down with, with Wired one year to do you know talking head video type stuff and we decided to just talk to the celebrities you know at these at these tables and uh, one of them was john provost who played timmy on lassie oh and, and yeah we t- um, you know we talked about some some lassie trivia so very very <laughs> I, very similar i know his name too because john provost is timmy and, uh, of, and course, of course lassie, lassie. see yes. there you go because yeah. nickelodeon had nothing yeah that's the only those eight 
million episodes of Lassie, we were the last generation to know who Lassie is because we yep. we were tortured with those Nickelodeon reruns. Yep. Uh, yeah. And, hey, let me just say, tip of the hat to our friend Paparina. You guys should watch his knickknacks on Lassie. He, I think, probably watched 150 episodes of Lassie. I was riveted oh to his 40-minute Lassie video. <laughs> it's the story of Lassie. How it's in how every kid gets to age and then give away Lassie, but Lassie never gets older on like 15 years of the show. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh but uh so we come back from the break. It seems like it's it's going great. Apu and Manjula are having they get a few seconds of them being like fun parents entertaining their yeah. kids. It's actually kind of sweet. The one like a uh, tiny bit of unintentional racial baggage I noticed uh, upon this viewing is like the third act opens with like a bunch of white people gawking at these Indian people behind glass. Mm. I don't think that's what they were going for, but now I can't help but see like this is a little there's a little bit of baggage here, you know, with well, the othering of these people. <laughs> Well, and plus mm-hmm. they they take away all the child's you know names yeah. and, and turn them into star names instead of uh, their their real names. Yeah, no, I, I hadn't I hadn't thought of that. The, uh, the crowd that's... that watches them in their performance is more diverse, but when you see them behind glass, it's like all white people looking mm. at them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do like hearing Larry uh, ask about like how's the humidity? Yeah, I know it's fine. It says it's fine over there. Gary Marshall mentions too that he does a bunch of ad libs, which he says is because he can't read the script. He's like, <laughs> my eyesight, it's not so good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, then if that was an ad lib, they worked it right in, right? Because he says, I know it's good. It says it's good. And it pans right up to the humidifier that says good. It comes back down. He's so, yeah, it's, uh, they made, if that was a ad lib, they turned it into something even better. But It's beautiful. Yep. Yep. And uh, they, this Bob Fosse guy shows up a lot, doesn't he? Yeah. He's got like this uh, very flamboyant entourage with him. Mm. These two guys are the, are the two guys different later that are like the, his sort of like heavies. Yeah, I think okay. so. Oh, yeah, I. Uh, but this Bob Fosse guy, like he's appeared, he was in yeah. Lisa Beauty Queen. Yeah, he was he was getting very huffy about how they weren't following the steps and the pivots. <laughs> yeah, step, turn, pause, pivot. No, step, pause, pivot, turn, step, pause, not pivot, step, turn, pause, pivot. And uh, yeah, it's uh, the Bob Fosse. He was he was that fussy, but he was a straight man as well. Like as we as we all learned from watching the Bob Fosse uh, docu series or auto biopic, I guess you'd say the that starred uh, Sam Rockwell. It's pretty good it's on hulu pretty good on the commentary they also point out that as the next thing is about to start bart does multiple playbill jokes in this episode he does two (laughs) times reading a playbill uh but the they just drop it on them that they actually are not just in a human zoo they're they're in a performance this is a great uh set piece and i love all the reactions to the new baby's uh, personas too it's all perfect like this captures i think this might be meyer uh, because i feel this in other episodes he was a big part of but they really captures the what mainstream american culture is when you go to these things that like are like say a laser light show at a museum all these things are like we don't know where these people are coming from at the carnival or at the state fair so we got to have the most unobjectionable like middle of the road things and so that's the presentation of all of them here in their persona really captures that and uh, i also love that they are just motionless beings yeah. moved around in boxes <laughs> the, yes the, the, the contraptions and the strapped into these uh oh man it's and again like 
I think if you watch this episode, but have, uh, again, if you've, if you've never heard about the Dion quintuplets, if you've never heard about, you know, anything like this, you would watch this episode and be like, where did that episode come from? This, this is what a, what a ridiculous plot. Who would even think of this? Um, and yet it, it is, it is, it is true. It is a, it is a true story given the sort of very thin veneer of, of Simpsonsality to it, but it is, but it is just history. It's, it's bizarre. It's, it's really not that far removed from <laughs> and it would have taken the entire third act but i wish they would have given the other four babies personas yes my favorite yeah. joke from this one is uh, a marge joke where uh larry's like oh it sounds like one of these kids has a fever and she gasps yes yeah actually <laughs> oh, yeah she's like <gasps> i i do have that clip Let okay play. i i, I yeah, really okay. love that one I can't believe we're going to see the octuplets. You already saw them. Yeah, but now their umbilical cords have fallen off. Ladies and gentlemen, get ready for the eight wonders of the third world. Welcome to Octopia. He can't talk, but man, can he rock. <laughs> Say hello to the baddest baby in the whole damn town. Animal. Welcome to the jungle. Uh-oh, sounds like one of the babies has a fever. <gasps> Dance fever, that is. <laughs> Let's hear it for Dazzle. She's no Liza, but it works. Oh, I do like that. Man. She can't even get caught up in like the narrative. She's like, that baby is sick. <laughs> so, I know, and, and it's such an exaggerated take also yeah marge is the perfect audience uh, like yeah. no no person has ever reacted to he's got a fever with uh with a shock they all know that they're about to say another thing and i think right. they had to like license two or three songs for this just this little sketch here this yeah i uh, they couldn't i wish they could have talked about it on the commentary but gary marshall's too funny so they didn't but this is on my list of things to ask mike scully how much did this cost because i i wrote it down it's uh drop a beat by moby oh that was a licensed song that yeah crap <laughs> then welcome to the jungle by guns and roses and then they will play R-O-C-K in the USA by John Mellencamp. Like, mm -hmm. that has to be $100,000. And they're paying like, for all those to go on DVDs and Disney Plus and stuff, too. Yeah, it's an insane amount of money they must have paid for this. But it works 10 times better having all these specific songs here. Definitely. Sure. And, uh, yeah, that that it, it it then goes on to the Baron. The, the Baron. Oh, man. I like that there's a heel character, too. Yeah, you, There has to be a baby you boo. Like, there <laughs> <laughs> has to be one that the, these people have to boo a baby and it feels like uh, the, the choice is like a oh, world war ii too soon you know let's do like a safer choice like oh an evil baron yeah <laughs> Uh, and, and yes, they get an and the rest for the other four babies. Yep, yep, yep. No uh, personalities. Just and, like, and these other babies. We could, we could not be bothered to come up with these these terrible thin personalities. <laughs> come with half of the babies and we're done. And lots of people throwing Dazzle under the bus in these next few scenes. No, yeah. yeah, yeah. Actually, yes. Let's hear, uh, let's hear what happens in the aftermath of their first show, which, oh yeah, and the first show ends with their nurses taking off their nurse outfits to reveal like Star Spank one piece outfits and they and then uh, we'll be back in an hour <laughs> yes, yeah. hourly shows for these poor babies uh but yes here's here's the fallout 
How could you do this to our children? I know. The lighting cues were a mess. Don't worry. <laughs> the guy's been fired. Our babies are not circus freaks. We're taking them home now. Hold on, Alpo. We got a contract. Hey, not anymore. <clears throat> Laminated. You monster. Terrence, Christopher, will you show these two to the exit? Avec plaisir. <laughs> I'm afraid there's nothing I can do. The zookeeper paid you off, didn't he? Paid me off? What are you, crazy? So we'll never see our children again? Well, they might give Dazzle back. Uh, the buzz is she's got one more show to turn it around. Well, if the police won't help us, we'll simply have to take the law into our own hands. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people are doing that these days. <laughs> That's a great reading of that line. Uh, he's like, it's I like, can respect it. Yeah, it's like, yeah, oh. yeah, 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 you can do that. And he's eating elephant-grade peanuts. We I just guess. recorded an episode where an elephant ate a live gopher. That's so. right. <laughs> the I guess that means they're worse peanuts, right? To be peanuts that you'd only give an elephant. It's true. It means that they are, yeah, exactly. Yeah, him calling him Alpo, it's, it's a funny mispronunciation. I guess it could be seen as him being like uh, racist, perhaps. But Larry, I think it's just him mispronouncing He has something. no time for either of Apu's names in yeah. this episode. <laughs> uh, I uh, Gary even jokes on the commentary, like, I can't say that name. No. Yeah, unlike the government of Ontario, they just have uh, just Wiggum defending the uh, the zoo in this case. <laughs> and uh, yeah, then we get to uh, Homer and Apu, of course, have to team up for a zany scheme. A baby heist. Uh, a baby heist in a, in a zoo. And mm. uh, the zoo at night jokes are funny, except like those koalas covered in blood are disturbing. <laughs> I did like that. <laughs> Especially like they they have ominous laughter at it. They're like, "Yes, we're eating flesh," <laughs> uh, and uh, they they break in. That's where there's the danger newborn sign. Very funny. Not only do we get a Viewmaster joke in this episode, but also color forms. Viewmaster yeah. and color form. I guess. Oh right. I guess they were big on uh, chloroform jokes around this time. Yes. They so really were. Uh, that's that's a fun mix up. Color forms and chloroforms. If you want to know what color forms are, it's uh, just these vinyl stickers you can put on uh, back and peel them off yeah what if you could keep putting a sticker on different parts of a book and uh that's one of like a million things i remember from childhood that i now think like well just there's an app on an ipad that yeah. does that i don't need the, you don't need to buy color forms. that was uh, mario paint uh, 25 years ago <laughs> but you know what shrinky dinks you can't do that on an ipad i think it's time time for those to come back <laughs> you can put your ipad in the oven <laughs> i guess it will it definitely deform it uh, uh, will fill your house with toxic smoke <laughs> kids if you're listening yeah well i mean what did shrinky dinks do uh, that's true <laughs> it smelled great i love the smell you'll be seeing it all did. sorts of stuff well, oh yeah i don't want to let the uh, sorry yes. i almost forgot about this speaking of things that happened to, to children but you know the, the the wonderful joke about butch patrick coming in and saying i was on tv and it you know, I turned out fine. Now, I mean, I, I'm sure that they always have former child stars, you know, deliver a joke like that when they come back. And I turned out great. Yeah. Butch Patrick, I think, robbed somebody in a limousine in the 1990s. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I did yeah. not know that. Yeah. He had been, oh, yeah. 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 I mean, he had, I mean, you know, show me a child star who didn't uh, end up, you know, arrested robbing somebody. But, you know, uh he he did he he um he he got into some some scuffles with the law in the 1990s that involved him robbing a limousine driver Man. while while he was a passenger in that in that limousine you know child he seems, star. he seems okay now though that's good yeah no yeah it feels like post reform on this uh, on this recording child stars have it pretty bad i mean he's uh you know your parents take all your money you have no real childhood like there's just sad stories for all of them and like i mean 
uh, like what Corey Feldman is talking about, like that's even darker than yeah. than, uh, than most people think of that. Now like it's beyond, right. yeah. It's mm-hmm. not funny to talk about, in fact. But mm-hmm. yeah, the that they're joking about here that like clearly he's fine. He's walking around in his Eddie Munster costume at all times. What a normal man he is. <laughs> right, right, right. People need to know who he is, and uh, I really like the joke. It's very dark, but the. Uh, they're passing the babies over the fence and Homer's about to leave and the gorilla is like holding the baby like please take my baby it's, oh it's so and, sad and Homer's it like, is, yeah it is sad and Homer's just like this is getting weird yeah. like he can't uh, he can't take how dark this is I think on the commentary Matt Selman actually is like close to tears on it he's <laughs> I think it affects him more now as a parent than it did then I feel like there's a lot I feel like there's a lot going on with the with the writing here where I feel like they wanted clearly they are affected by stories like this and i think they one would imagine that they wanted to go even harder but they couldn't because it was the 1990s and this had to be very lighthearted. Um, but there's a lot of darkness in this episode that they don't really fully get into mm. they they approach it but then make it at least something silly like well it's a silly stage show it's not just mm-hmm. mistreatment of the babies they and also they have to show that the baby's kind of like or at least the baron really likes being the baron and as far as i know uh, chris might be able to uh let me know if this is correct like uh, newborn babies just kind of sleep a lot at first right if you're lucky if you're lucky so they're waking these babies up every hour to do these performances uh, yeah oh yeah no of course it would be incredibly harmful right to to babies to be to be doing that right yeah of course. Uh, well hey the baron likes it so i think that i think it was no harm done then That's yeah a- the bear i mean there are you know there's evil babies the baron could be really evil you don't know it's uh, a one out of you know we've all seen uh, the family guy program we know about the evil baby oh, on God. that one exactly yeah. exactly yep. Is there a baby on that show, Family Guy? <laughs> uh, I've heard. <laughs> uh, but so uh, this episode then ends in a very ridiculous fashion of just uh, that Homer, they obviously know there's no getting out of this. Like, it, you can't break the contract. And so Homer just has to, like, pitch a ridiculous thing. And they're like, sure, okay. It, it doesn't make any sense, but uh, I do like how, uh, like, violent this ending is for Homer. <laughs> so and does, Butch Patrick has to be part of it, too. Does Homer do this every day? to replace the is this his new job now he's really putting one on the line for a poo here uh, i i have to think homer di- like almost dies after his first performance he sues the zoo and then they just let him go and just go it, like you know yeah. we're done the ending reminds me and i mean maybe I, I, maybe they do this a lot more what it immediately reminded me of was the ending of the homer gains 500 pounds episode where it's like well how are we going to resolve this and it's a really quick thing where you know uh burns is making him work it off and he's like oh i'll just pay for the lipo section yeah you know, and this is sort of the like we've we've gotten ourselves in this horrible situation what is the like two seconds of of, of footage that we can uh resolve this but not really resolve this because uh, then well then how does homer get out of this job we don't mm-hmm. need to know <laughs> uh, but he he does suffer a lot though in this final clip he does hold it right there scumbags <gasps> Please, Mr. Kidkill, look into your heart. I know these babies have a lifetime contract, but what if I put together an even better act for you? Something sensational. It's not just you prancing around in a monkey suit, is it? Not anymore. You got yourself a deal. Quiet, you're breaking character. Real cobras? Some are real. Some are just robots filled with venom. Now that is a proof, friend. 
know, if he can handle that, maybe we can handle this bunch. We'll do our best, Chutney Butt. <laughs> okay, okay, don't panic, Butch. Release the mongoose! I will make you listen to all of his screaming. Homer's there's screaming. a lot. It yeah. goes into the credits, right? <laughs> yes. I think like there's been five Scully episodes with Homer screaming in pain over the credits. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's a good outro. You just get to laugh at Homer's pain. And another expensive license song. Uh, yes. And I will say also the phrase uh, "robots filled with venom" has been in my head since this episode <laughs> aired. It's such a disturbing it's, thought. It's so great that they that they make sure in the playbill that are the ad that bart has they make sure to tell you like hey some it's robots filled with venom it's not all snakes like that's pretty great but in that the mongoose can't even kill snakes it bites homer instead his writhing especially at the very end is like that is horrifying (laughs) and uh and also i mean it's a nice happy ending of apua manjula but Obviously, later eps imply that the kids did destroy their lives and they are obscenely unhappy. Yeah, like they, they can't handle it, despite yeah. what this well, that happens. Says. You know, sure. <laughs> uh, that's that's not. It, it, yeah, it's they, they said. Well, we can. I'm sure we can handle them. But of course, nothing actually changed. Uh, mm-hmm. And and you know, probably probably happened is they simply. Uh, you know just decided to to roll with it of Mm -hmm. of life just you know being a disaster from from then on yeah i mean i'm sure our parents were happy before we came along and uh, oh yeah yeah uh they had so much more disposable income and dreams and dreams but homer is dressed like uh eddie munster and apparently they have to stay in character what the character is is not clear and they're like they're in this weird like candy king this candy land world too the set there's like a candy land set and also cobras and they're both Dressed up like Eddie Munster. As Kenny yeah. Loggins is Blair. Yeah. It's so much of these, like, all these dissonant different things happening at once. Right. You can't imagine what led up to this moment in the act. What was the setup? Who are they? Yeah. Where are they? What's Why the narrative? Are snakes? Yeah. It's at least a funny extreme image, even if it doesn't make the most sense. At least they leave you laughing. Mm-hmm. But it is a weird moral that they're like, well, if Homer can be bitten by snakes to help us, maybe we can handle eight children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but uh, the for- unfortunately for Apu, his hell will never end either because the children can never grow up. So he's just always going to have eight babies. Yeah, it was not for a sort of a what is in the end a, a very deeply strange, strange story <laughs> of, a, of an episode. It is a it's an interesting thing that they were so cavalierly uh, given uh, these eight children that they then have to always have in all previous episodes. And I mean, it seems like what you guys are saying, having looked at this, is that it's kind of like really hurt Apu's character going forward in terms of the opportunities that he had. Yeah, he's pretty much trapped to just be a dad in, in almost anything. If he's going to have any scene for uh, that's outside of Quickie Mart, it's only about being a dad, pretty much. I, I mean, they just stop talking to the kids. It's different than on, you know, sitcoms or say soap operas are guilty of this too, of just like a kid will go away they have the baby storyline and yeah. then they're like oh the kid actually is five years older in three months now i think friends is pretty famous for that like they didn't age up the kid but there's a there's a child that has had on that show that just kind of disappears yeah ben uh ross's son which that's a great that's one of my favorite friends joke actually where rachel is about to give birth to the kid she's having with ross and his father ross's father says like oh, i'm about to become a granddad and ross is like no there's there's ben and he's like 
I'm kidding. I'm kidding. And then he turns away and goes, woo. <laughs> and we all know, of course, that Fraser uh, wished his son into the cornfield. That's right. Yeah. He, I totally oh, come now. He does not uh, technically have a son in that show, does he? <laughs> I, I think he's I think he's with Lilith. Yeah. In, we in we just don't talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, you know, this was a a fun silly episode even crazier than the previous focused on Apu yeah. one and uh, even though it's about a poo i wasn't just like pulling my collar the entire time and saying this has an age well yeesh yeah yeah the, i think it helps that we've gotten all the Apu conversations out of the way first too yeah and, um, and i mean gary marshall goes a long way because he just is a funny voice he's just so funny to hear what uh i mean uh, chris any any last verdict on its uh accuracy or not of fatherhood uh, yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't think this is, <laughs> that's a very, oh, my child just stomped in the living room. So, I mean, it really, it totally, uh, it, it, yeah, no, it's not accurate to fatherhood <laughs> for uh. God's sakes. It's a, it's a nightmare what they go through. Um, but you know, and, and of course the complete and total lack of support, which in general, I mean, uh, and again, like I feel very bad when this, you know, because sometimes this does not happen for people, but you know, I mean, what you, what you would expect and, and hope from a, you know, your, your, your friends in the community is a little bit more than banana bread. Um, <laughs> and we don't see, it's just funny that we don't see like Springfield, you know, rallying around uh, their, their friend at all. And the only person who wants to help is Marge bringing over banana bread, because you would kind of hope that their, their network or the people that love them would, uh, would, would come together for them and help them out a little bit, which is certainly what happens, you know, it, ideally what you would hope would happen when you have like a baby, um, mm. when you have an baby, and not just eight <laughs> babies. And so, uh, definitely what happens when, you know, it's, it's like when you have children, it's, it's not that you can't do certain things anymore. It's that every, it's that when you, you can't, you can no longer be spontaneous with those things. Mm. You, it, everything has to be scheduled down. There is no like, you know what? let's just go out to dinner tonight. It's like, no, you can't do that. If you want to go out for a fancy dinner, you have to like actually schedule it in advance, get the babysitter. Everything is down to the hour. You know what I mean? It's that sort of thing. That's, yeah. Your life becomes very, uh, everything becomes like a, a Google calendar full of, you know, we can do this, but not this, not that. And I was just um, thinking, um, yeah. Apu and Manjula have no like parents in town. Like uh, when I was growing up and like as an adult, I always noticed like, oh yeah, grandma will take the kids or grandpa will watch them while you guys have fun. So there's no like family in town to be like sort of a buffer for mm. the child care. Right, right, right. And that's certainly something that you, you know, typically, you know, people would live in the same small town that their parents were from and they'd have the kids there. And so now you have the your whole extended family kind of helping you out. But, you know, these days, I mean, we move far away from both of our sets of parents. Mm -hmm. So like we don't we don't have the, the, the babysitting, but like my brother and, you know, his uh, his family, you know, they still live in Connecticut. You know, some of my in-laws, you know, they still live in Massachusetts near my parents. They just go, hey, hey, grandma and grandpa, here's the kids. Bye. Um, <laughs> Um, and it's like, oh, that's uh, that'd be nice. <laughs> I spend hundreds and thousands of dollars on babysitting every year. I mean, really, in the middle of the pandemic, I don't have to actually worry about having a babysitter over anymore because nobody's going anywhere anyway. So we're getting a lot of, you know, fun family quality time hmm, to, to spend nice. together. And that's... that'll be that's that's, you know, very precious. And I'll be so happy when it's all over. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good line to go out on, Chris. Yeah. Uh, please let us know where we can find you, uh, what you're doing online, where you work, anything you want to throw out where we can, uh, you know, just check out your stuff. My Twitter. Twitter handle is Kobun Heat, K-O-B-U-N-H-E-A-T. My my child started playing a game on my account and now he thinks he's Kobun Heat and I have to tell him <laughs> that he's absolutely not. <laughs> um, and uh 
what else? I guess that's a good. Just, yeah, find me on Twitter, and then if I if I randomly vomit things onto the internet, I'll I'll probably put it there. You know, let me say I have been using your curry recipe and oh. been playing around with it. Uh, I'd I'd been wanting to make uh, you know everybody's cooking more, and so I was uh, starting to use your curry recipe and, and playing around with it. It's been, I mean, that chocolate really was a, a breakthrough for me. Definitely, mm. that's really good to hear. I'm I'm so excited because. So so basically, like it, it's my it's my Japanese curry recipe, and it's not even so much a recipe as it is like taking the Japanese curry bricks that you can buy in a store and doing things. You have to understand, like you know, every Japanese family, you know, they all have like their own recipe for what they do with those bricks, and they don't just take them and put them in water and eat it. Like there's always secret stuff that they put in. And so my this thing that I wrote on Kotaku about like how to make great Japanese curry at home was all about just getting people thinking about like here's some things that happen and like one of the major things is putting a bar of chocolate in there and it just really helps like mm. mellow out a lot of the flavors and it takes a little bit closer to like what you would get if you like go to a japanese you know restaurant so i it's so great because like that thing is going kind of viral and especially with everybody locked up right now i'm getting a lot of cool tweets from people who try it and love it and it's like really very it makes me very happy. So I, um, it's very, very happy to hear that. I've been making a lot of curry, Chris. I need to try your recipe because my Instant Pot has never been used more in my <laughs> entire life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I haven't done curry in the Instant Pot yet. I know you can do it. I mean, I, you know, basically, you don't really change the recipe that much. You just let it simmer in the Instant Pot when you're done for a while. But yeah, that's great. Good stuff. Yeah. So thank you so much to Chris Kohler for finally being on our show. And we're glad. I mean, it's our fault, frankly, because I've been talking to Chris for years about being on the show, but we got him on. He'll be back, of course. We always like Chris and everything he does. But as for us, if you want to support what we do and get every one of these episodes one week ahead of time and ad free, please go to patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. And when you sign up for five bucks a month, you'll get just that, but also access to everything behind our $5 paywall. That includes every bonus podcast we've done for the past three plus years that is too many to list here but that also includes all of our limited miniseries the most recent of which was talking mission hill going through the entire only season of mission hill with the talking simpsons treatment and we have a lot more going on there so much to go over but again i can't do it here because we just <laughs> talked for two hours about the simpsons but henry can tell you what's going on at the ten dollar level one extra long podcast once a month that is just for patrons at that level or higher that's right. For 10 bucks a month, you get all of the $5 goodies plus a monthly What a Cartoon Movie podcast where me and Bob talk about an animated feature film in the Talking Simpsons style, often for over four hours. If you sign up at the 10 bucks a month level, not only will you get one each month, but you'll also get access to the entire back catalog that's over 80 hours of podcasts at this point just for What a Cartoon Movie. Our most recent ones have included Disney Flop, The Black Cauldron, and Space Jam, The Amazing Michael Jordan Commercial, and So So Film. You can hear that and over 15 or more if you sign up at 10 bucks a month at patreon.com slash talking simpsons so as for me i have been one of your hosts bob Mackey. you can find me on twitter as bob servo my other podcast is retronauts it's a classic gaming podcast all about old video games find it wherever you find podcasts or go to patreon.com slash retronauts to sign up there and get two exclusive episodes every month that are only for patrons again that is patreon.com slash retronauts henry how about you hey follow me henry gilbert on twitter at h-e-n-e-r-e-y-g i'm sure to tweet about the cool thing 
things going on in my life. Maybe even some of that curry I've been cooking. Plus, if you're following me on Twitter, please follow the official Twitter account of this podcast and also our sister podcast, What a Cartoon. That Twitter account is at Talk Simpsons Pod. At Talk Simpsons Pod. Stay in the loop whenever new podcasts go up. Free feed, Patreon, secret stuff. We're sure to tweet about it there at Talk Simpsons Pod on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, folks. We'll see you next week for Take My Wife Sleeves, and we'll see you then. That's my cue to exit. Homer! I just wanted to invite you to the rap party. And that's my cue to exit.